Today, on the debut episode of Stories from the Nosebleeds, we take a look back at the 2001 World Series, the events and storylines that went to one of the most captivating, competitive, and awe-inspiring championship series in the last 20 years between the New York Yankees and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Welcome to the program. It's the debut episode of Stories from the Nosebleeds. We're here to bring you a look back at some of the most defining and unforgettable moments in sports history. If you'd like to get involved with the program, we'd love to hear some show ideas from you, and you can do that by leaving us a suggestion for upcoming episodes on our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or you can email the show at createshowideas at storiesfromthenosebleed.com. Well, I'm real excited to get in today, so let me just introduce you to my friend Jesse. Drab it across the table, buddy. How are we doing? Are the Rams looking to survive or what? Uh, we're holding on by a thread, but I mean, you know, if some things could go our way this weekend, need Chicago to lose, although I feel pretty good about our chances because it's Aaron Rodgers that the Bears have to go up against. Whoa. So if if I got to depend on Aaron Rodgers to send the Rams to the playoffs, I'm actually a pretty happy guy. That just means we have to do less work in our game against Arizona. I was uh, going to say, that's a pretty good boat to be sitting in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a better boat than your Carolina Panthers. Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. But uh, tag or Jacob to my right good here. Good Lord. Yeah, he's just, I'm just going to dunk on him real early here. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's all good. And in reality, uh, you know, I'm pretty much pretty confident that uh, pretty much every news outlet out there put us at i don't know two three wins at most so we've overachieved so you know it's been a good year yeah we've got yeah. some good looking uh young defensive talent coming up and uh so i can't complain apparently they want to sign dwayne haskins so that was a new rumor out today yeah but i mean if they got teddy locked down so i mean having a couple options and one of which being a young guy that was a high draft pick you know maybe in a new system he might shine a little more i don't know ah uh, pj walker baby XFL All-Star. That's you know my what? guy. He, he looked That's pretty good. Guy. He looked good, man. He, That's my the guy. The couple though. chances he had this year, he looked pretty good, so I can't complain. Yeah. I know you just shit on the Panthers, but you're wearing, like, the Carolina colors, but only in Pittsburgh form. Oh, what's, what's that about? The Winter Classic against Buffalo. We got a, the shootout victory by Sidney Crosby with the snow just dumping. How could you not wear the Malkin jersey? That's I mean, it's pretty sharp looking, though, like, I must say. Uh, episode one, you got to look sharp. You do, and you look like a million bucks, baby. Oh, thanks, baby. Well, shall we get to her? I think so, yeah. Let's rock and roll. Let's dive in. In the mid-90s, Major League Baseball was going through a bit of an identity crisis. In August of 1994, the league went on strike just two months before a champion was supposed to be crowned. When play resumed the following year in 1995, fans were less than enthusiastic about its return to play. Attendance and viewership was down significantly, while the NFL and NBA were seeing unprecedented attention than ever before. It would take Major League Baseball a couple of years to really find their footing again. Then in 1998, the sport was graced with a home run race for the ages between Mark McGuire of the St. Louis Cardinals and Sammy Sosa of the Chicago Cubs. Man, that was can't miss baseball. That's how I first got into sports. Yeah. It wasn't like um, uh, like NHL or basketball or football. Like I had watched uh, that year's Super Bowl, Denver versus Green Bay. And that was the very first football game that I ever watched, and I've been hooked ever since. But it was the Sosa McGuire home run race of 98 that really got me into sports. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't care how big their necks were. I just thought it was cool to see people <laughs> hitting that ball that far, that fast. Absolutely. That many times. And it was also like, it, it was like always the top story at the top of Sports Center or Sports Desk back at the day. Remember Sports Desk? I love Sports Desk. TSN with uh, Jim Van Horn, that rockin' mustache. Love Gino, it. Gino Retta, baby. Gino Retta, yeah, he's still there too. 
How did, so how did you guys like start getting into sports? Like how did you follow it on a regular? Honestly, for me, it was kind of a kind of a strange anomaly. Like I mean, obviously, being Canadian, hockey was pretty much an always watch thing for the family and all that good thing. But uh, I mean, in terms of football, my parents really didn't watch much. In terms of NFL, uh, didn't watch baseball at all. Um, didn't really. I don't know. Didn't really come from a sports family. Came from. A, I guess a, a traditional sports family. For the most part, we were into a lot of racing, uh, race motocross growing up, um, a lot of different sports revolving around racing and a little more individual competition. So team sports were uh, a little less common in the uh, Jacob household. So you started with individual sports and then started following Kind of just evolved sports? from there, you know. Every time, I mean, it. a lot of times it rooted from a lot of my friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't really get big into baseball until the 2010s. Right. And, uh, I mean, conveniently enough, uh, my one buddy is a uh, Giants fan, uh, yourself included. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that some of those playoff runs just kind of solidified the sport in my head and, you know, haven't looked back. And you watch every game now every day? Pretty much. Yeah. How about you, Levs? How would you uh, first get into sports? Like, what really, what moment or, you know, what, uh, what when was the turning point for you? I w- always wanted to be outside. And then I found out that sports was a thing. Uh-huh. And so then I wanted to play sports. And then I wanted to be really good at sports. So I would get home from school and turn on sports desk and watch the highlights. And then we'd, you know, my parents would get home from work and we'd watch a game with my dad. Mm-hmm. And, like, he was a blue-collar guy. He'd been working since he was 13. So he didn't really play a, a ton of sports growing up. So he didn't have, like, that, that in-depth detail. Um, so we would watch and learn together. And I was just kind of like, you know, my brother, my dad, and I would just, you know, bond over that kind of stuff. But my mom was actually uh, an elite-level soccer player. Oh, really? Yeah, until she uh, she hurt her Achilles. Oh, man. And, you know, obviously. Yeah, well, in the 70s, too, right? Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of a tough comeback from there, right? You where, know? where the science wasn't as advanced, so you couldn't really tell, like, how long of a recovery it was and yeah. that kind of thing. So and I, that's, like, one of the worst injuries to have, too. Absolutely. Yeah, so I watched a lot of soccer with her, and uh, it was just about getting better and better and better at uh, soccer, hockey, football. I just want to be better at them than everybody else on the street. So I just watched hockey all the time, football all the time, and soccer all the time, just to watch what the pros were doing and then try to emulate them. That's that's exactly how I got uh, that way as well. I just, you know, you, you watch so many sports when you're a kid, you just download the data, and then you just try to emulate what uh, these pro athletes are doing. And that's all you can ask for. That wasn't the only thing that helped grab baseball's popularity back near the end of the decade. The New York Yankees, who had seemed to return to their run of dominance with newly drafted shortstop Derek Jeter, would go on to win the World Series in 1996. They wouldn't return there until 1998, where they would go on to sweep Tony Gwynn and the San Diego Padres. They would do it again in 1999, this time taking care of Chipper Jones and the Atlanta Braves. Man, those Atlanta teams were good, though. Absolutely dominant pitching. Maddox, uh, Glavin, Smoltz. The three-headed monster? Oh, yeah, I mean, take your pick. You know, those guys are inning eaters. They're say, especially coming play, coming uh, playoff time when yeah. you're pretty much running a three-man rotation anyways. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
good luck in Atlanta. Good luck. But that's the three-headed monster that everyone in the NL wanted to just ignore. Yeah. They're just like, man, I hope these guys don't get in because I don't want to take on Smoltz one night, yeah. Maddox the other night, yeah. and Glavin the Gla- next. Oh, yeah. Glavin's your third guy out. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You could be up two games to none against the Braves, and then, you know, Glavin has a great game or Maddox or whoever, and then all of a sudden you feel like you're in a hole. Yeah. That's just how bad it was. Yeah. And finally, in 2000, the Yankees would return for one more go, this time against their crosstown rivals, the New York Mets, in which the Yankees would go on to win four games to one to claim their third championship in a row. So the big question heading into 2001 season was, who from the NL, or the AL for that matter, was going to give the Yanks a run for their money? The powerhouses didn't seem to have an answer for them. While McGuire and Sosa were the toast of the sporting world in 1998, though, a new expansion team, some 2,400 miles west of New York City, was quietly building a franchise that would compete right away. One with strong Hall of Fame pitching, exceptional hitting, and pure raw emotion that none of the other teams in the NL could match. Four years later, they would find themselves competing for a World Series title against the three-time defending champions. So, there's a lot to unravel here. Why did we pick the 2001 World Series as our first episode? First of all, I mean, the storylines are endless for this entire year, let alone the, the World Series itself. I mean, you got the Diamondbacks. They're four years old. They've got a veteran-riddled roster that is just full of guys that have never won it, but, it, you know, have been there and know the road. They'd sniffed it, but they never, you know, reached the pinnacle. Yeah, yeah. Outside of Randy Johnson, like, no one had really been to that elite level, right? So mm-hmm. um, you take that, and then Yankees going for four. And the whole thing, you know, the the fact of the matter is, you know, games three, four, five, six, and seven are in November. Yeah. It's the only time ever in baseball history it's in November. That's right, yeah. Right. That was yeah. the debut of uh, Mr. November. That's right, that's right. Well, and, I mean, the whole reason that got set up was because of the uh, September 11th terrorist attacks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And realistically, I mean, there's plenty of storylines that go along with that alone. We won't dive too far into that uh, and uh, there's the Mariners winning 116 games yeah unbelievable an, un- unbelievable. an unprecedented 116 games yeah yeah Ichiro Suzuki with uh, the AL MVP AL rookie of the year and he's the first Japanese position player in MLB history yeah just <sighs> absurd yeah uh, you got Bonds hitting 73 home runs in a season yep so in all honesty that pretty much those are all the reasons why we picked this episode and then on top of that this the series itself was one of the best World Series ever. Game 7. Voted uh, the number one Game 7 of all time by Sports Illustrated. It was a fantastic game. Now, does that go for all sports, or was all that... All sports. All sports. All sports. Was the greatest Game 7 of all time. Great. At, uh, in 2002, they did this, and they everyone, hands down, was like, recency bias aside, this is the best Game 7 of all time. It's just, and it, it is. It's incredible. I can't wait for us to get into it. It's going to be great. For the casual sports fan these days, Major League Baseball is a hard sell for anybody who doesn't watch it on a regular basis. The action isn't nearly as intense or brutal as the NFL. It doesn't have the finesse and flow like the NBA, and it certainly doesn't have the speed or grit like the NHL. Even today's game lacks its power of superstars. You may know guys like Mike Trout of the Los Angeles Angels, Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees, and Kristen Yelich of the Milwaukee Brewers in present times but everybody else seems to be left in the dust. Whether that's because of the market they play in or for whatever reason, 
there's a lot of great talent in the majors. People don't go out of their way to watch Mookie Betts on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN to see if he goes 4 for 5 at the plate or to make a wall-climbing, game-saving catch in the bottom of the 7th. And honestly, I can't blame them. You've got the Stanley Cup and NBA playoffs going on from April through June, just when baseball gets into full swing. Fast forward some four-plus months later, baseball is in its postseason, and the NHL and NBA start up brand new campaigns, and people still cling to watching the storylines that unfold. How's the top free agent going to fare in a new home? Is the hype real with the number one overall pick? Once again, baseball gets pushed to the side. In 2001, however, that certainly wasn't the case. As we mentioned before, Major League Baseball had everything you were looking for. Superstar drawing power in McGuire, Sosa, and Barry Bonds two 100-win teams in the American League, a rookie winning the MVP award for the first time in league history, two legends of the game making their final appearances in stadiums before running off into the sunset, and unfortunately, an attack on America that made even the world stand still. I can tell you as an 11-year-old kid watching baseball on TV in 2001, I had enough drama and excitement to keep me tuned in every single day and night. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The... 2001 baseball was dominated by a few teams, uh, but those teams got eyes, man. Everybody was watching. The, the race in the NL West, you, you couldn't miss a single night of baseball. It was that close. It was wild. Even though you're living here in Canada and the games don't end until 11.30, 12 o'clock the next day. Yeah, but, I mean, the Giants... People would still watch, though. The Giants didn't make it in on the last day of the, the, of the regular season because they lost a game. That's wild. Yeah. Right? Like, they win that game, they're in the playoffs. They lose that game, they're not. And if that happens, maybe we're talking about the San Francisco Giants versus the New York Yankees. And do I think the Giants that year have the uh, bullpen or the starting pitching to deal with the Yankees? Not a chance. No. Not the pitching chance. wasn't there. No. They had, the, they had the bats. Yep. They had the bats. Yep. That's uh... Or a bat. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They fair. definitely had one, but there was a few others <laughs> kicking around that lineup that uh, that could make you uh, wish you hadn't thrown a pitch. Yeah. Uh, so we'll start off with the uh, Yankees. The villain role in sports, whether individual or team, can be a very tricky one to pull off. For some, it takes years to get the crowd to turn on you. For others, it just comes naturally. More often than not, though, it's the colorful personalities and successful dynasties of the game that people just love to hate. On an individual level, names such as Sean Avery, Floyd Mayweather, and Tonya Harding might come to mind first. Teams such as the Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Lakers, and Toronto Maple Leafs are often seen and promoted everywhere you go. For fans, there's always something or someone that just gets their blood boiling. Look no further than the New York Yankees. Loved by many and hated by most... The Yankees were, and in many cases still are, the Darth Vader of pro sports. That's oh, never absolutely. gone away. Yeah, no, they're the evil empire. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not gone in any way, shape, or form. No, no, down with the Steinbrenners. When we start getting merch, that's going to be a shirt. I don't care. Uh, down with the Steinbrenners. Down with the Steinbrenners. <laughs> it sounds like you're supporting them, though, like down with the Steinbrenners. Oh, damn, I hate. Or, or damn to hell with the Steinbrenners. Well, you know, down with them, you know, banging your fists on the table. Down, put them down, put them down. Oh, you know? okay. Swing, swinging the gavel, I, yeah, guess you, yeah, yeah. I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah. No, not like down with Webster. Oh, okay. No, 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 like put them down. So in 1992, the Yankees drafted shortstop Derek Jeter, who would go on to be the patriarch and future face of the franchise for years to come. Along the way, the Yankees would add high-profile names to their monster payroll, such as Daryl Strawberry, Roger Clemens, and David Justice. 
At the same time, they would also showcase some of their untapped prospect talents. Bernie Williams, Alfonso Soriano, and Andy Pettit would be the final pieces of the puzzle to a squad that wasn't looking to just win, but rule the baseball world for the foreseeable future. And they did just that. From 1996 to 2000, they would bring four of the next five World Series titles back to the Bronx. It brought back the glory days and some fond memories of the late 40s, early 50s teams that won five straight titles from 1949 to 1953. Well, and like when you're talking about the history of the Yankees, like it, that is a team that is a, the bloodline of a city. Mm-hmm. You know, like New it's York. what defines New Yorkers. Absolutely. That's the one franchise that stands out more than anybody. Yeah. Like the Knicks have been great over the last 20 years. The Jets haven't been great since maybe the Parcells era. Yeah, the Giants have have spurts. I, the Rangers, I would say, are probably on the same level. I think you've got like the the Rangers and the Yankees. It's the Yankees first. It's the Yankees first. It's the, the Yankees, Yankees first. Or the, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, we're also talking the states. Yeah. So the NHL definitely comes second to baseball. Oh, yeah. yeah so that alone yeah. automatically puts the Yankees above. The Rangers, but, in my yeah, opinion, but I, as an identity thing. I think if you look at, at New York City and like the fan bases there, I think that you get kind of a split between the Jets and the Giants. You know, like there is a small portion of New York City that is Mets fans, and they are rabid, and they're great fans. But it's the Yankees, and then it's the Rangers. And then Long Island gets to have the Islanders, and everybody makes fun of them for being <laughs> Italians, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's what's going on in Long Island, right? But... It, you, the hierarchies, the Yankees, big drop-off, Rangers, big drop-off. Everybody else. Everybody else. Right. In no particular order. Yeah. You're talking about the 40s and 50s. That That's that swagger. That's that New York asshole. You know, like that's that's what this team reminds them of and why the, the city got so much even more behind the Yankees than they already were. Because they kept winning. Oh, God, yeah. 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 How, how can you hate a team that – has won like what they've won like 25% of the championships in MLB history. They have 27 rings to date, I believe. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean if you're a local, how do you hate that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everybody else does. Everybody else that's gets 25%. To. Yeah, everybody else gets to. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then New Yorkers as mentioned are assholes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like a friendly asshole. Is it? Well, you know, it's friendly as it gets. <laughs> For New York. Yeah. <laughs> That's something for you to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry yeah, I've been work- to anybody listening from yeah. New York. I'm not. <laughs> I, 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 I do want to go to New York. I do want to visit so I can meet some of you myself and we can have fun conversations. That we are can sarcastic. make an honest assessment yeah, uh, down yeah, the road. We can be sarcastic and assholes to each other and then walk off and, ha- you know, fuck you, have a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> if I could get into an argument with a New Yorker in the middle of Times Square talking about sports, man, I'll raise my voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That'd be a good day. That'd be an awesome day. Yeah, yeah. Hey, guess what I did today? I argued with a Jets fan while getting a slice of New York pizza. Oh, that's exactly what I did. That's was, that's a great day. I was in Brooklyn getting a deep dish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not not so much the deep. Well, do they have deep dish in New York? I, I meant to go with pepperoni, but I panicked. I was gonna say. Yeah, I meant to go <laughs> with a Brooklyn pepperoni. But I, then I was I, gonna I panicked, say yeah. that's that's more of a Chicago yeah. thing, but it, well, uh, yeah, my bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Chicago. I, I know I know what you're talking about though. I'm never they apologizing to New York or Boston. Saddle up, kids. Let's go. (laughs) But in 2001, the Yankees wanted more. They were going for their fifth title in six years, and the consensus was that they would be there again. It was just a matter of who from the NL would actually give the Bronx Bombers a challenge. So we'll go through a couple of timelines here for the Yankees. 
uh, will start opening day April 2nd. Roger Clemens struck out five batters in a 7-3 win over Kansas City at Yankee Stadium and surpassed Walter Johnson's AL record of 3,508 career strikeouts. That is a lot of strikeouts. Oh, yeah. In what, uh, this was like Clemens' 15th or 16th year, I believe. Uh, 86, 2001. Yeah, the math adds up. This probably is like his 15th or 16th year. So he's still he's still a gangster of the game. Oh, he's yeah. got it. Yeah, he's still in, well for 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 the amount of steroids that he did, he was still in his prime. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Sprinkle some allegedly on there. I'll sprinkle some <laughs> alleged dust on that. Uh, we'll fast forward to uh, April 20th. Tino Martinez of the New York Yankees connected on a grand slam in a victory over Boston at Yankee Stadium and became the fifth player in Major League history to hit a grand slam in seven consecutive seasons. Well, and Willie McCovey did it in, what, nine seasons? And who? there was a few others that did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vern Stevens, uh, Gil Hodges, and Cecil Fielder, I believe, did it most recently prior to that. Oh, and they did, they did it in seven. Yeah. Uh, we'll go to May 2nd. Uh, Paul O'Neill became the 215th player in Major League history to compile 2,000 hits, and the first to do so in a Yankee uniform since Don Mattingly, who is the current owner of the, or sorry, not the current owner, the current manager of uh, the Miami Marlins, and Mattingly did it in 1994. August 15th, Roger Clemens became only the sixth Major Leaguer since 1900 to start the season 16-1 and with his win over Tampa Bay. Yeah, I, if I remember right, the others are Dave McNeely, uh, I think Rube Marquard. Oh, it's McNally. <laughs> oh, man, that's embarrassing. <laughs> Rube Marquard, uh, maybe Guy Bush, Don Newcomb. Do you guys remember the other one? I think it was uh, Elroy Face. That's a solid pick. Thank well, you. Well done. <laughs> Uh, August 25th, O'Neill became the oldest player in Major League history to hit 20 home runs and steal 20 bases in the same season. Man, that guy was like 38 too. There's That's no just way absurd. his knees were not like crumpled to dust. <laughs> my first knee would have ended up at first, and my <laughs> second knee would have ended up at first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, s- same day, same game actually. Uh, Roger Clemens became the first AL pitcher and the fourth major leaguer since 1900 to win 17 of his first 18 decisions. So just pure domination by Clemens this year. Uh, we'll, f- we'll go to uh, September 5th. Roger Clemens sets a Yankees mark with his 15th straight victory, leading New York over the Blue Jays. Clemens went 19-1, also became the second player in major league history to win 19 of his first 20 decisions. Rube Marquardt of the New York Giants also did it in 1912. Dead ball era, but man, could that guy pitch? And the New York Giants, not the <laughs> yeah, San, Fr- not the right. San Francisco Giants. Uh, September nineteenth, we'll say uh, Roger Clemens became the first pitcher in Major League history to go twenty and one as he pitched the Yankees to a six-three victory over the White Sox. The thirty-nine-year-old right-hander reached twenty wins for the sixth time in his career and became the oldest twenty-game winner in the AL since Early Win did it in nineteen fifty-nine, just shy of his fortieth birthday. September 25th, the New York Yankees celebrated another division championship. The Yankees played at home for the first time since the terrorist attacks on September 11th and clinched their fourth straight AL East title when Boston lost to Baltimore. Yeah, and uh, that first game in in Yankee Stadium after the the attacks was just like the the crowd was electric. Well, a mixture between electric and like fueled by anxiety. Right, you know, yeah. the, the, everyone in the crowd sitting there thinking, like, is there going to be a bomb going off? You know, is somebody going to attack us here? And then just the relief of the crack of the bat, 
you know, from the first hit. Like I went and rewatched the game here recently, and it's it's incredible to feel the entire stadium breathe when mm-hmm. they're like, okay, normalcy. Yeah. You know, it's wild. It's, well, and, I mean, you'd have to think that you know the attacks as a whole really fueled them just for the remainder of the season and right into the playoffs. You mm-hmm. know, they they knew they had the whole city behind them. They were, you know, like you said, you think of New York, there's a handful of things you think of, and one of them is the Yankees. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it stretched to the rest of the country, too. You know, um, they all of a sudden became America's team. You know, this is, as we mentioned earlier, you know, this is the evil empire. This is the team that everybody loves to hate. And all of a sudden, you know, everybody's cheering for the Yankees. And it's because you're you're not cheering for the Yankees, you're cheering for New York. And you could really feel that, especially after that, um, the first home game here. You know, it, it just kind of stretched for the entire rest of the season, and you saw it in their play as well. Right. I don't think it was the same night, but I think it might have happened, like, maybe a couple days earlier. But the Mets had a game. Uh, I believe they were tied 2-2 in the bottom of the eighth. And Mike Piazza went up, and he hit uh, a solo home run. And the crowd just went crazy. So when you're talking about feeding off the New York crowd, uh, they were feeling the exact same thing over in oh, yeah. uh, wherever uh, it, it, over at Chase Stadium. There. Yeah, yeah, and they had to play at home a lot sooner. Uh, it, you know the I think it was uh, six or seven days after the attack, like the the Piazza home run. Yeah, yeah. they restarted the league because the whole league shut down for uh, I believe ten days. Yeah. Right. So obviously it wasn't six days after that they did the home run, but it was uh, only one or two days after the league had restarted that the Mets were back playing at home. Mm-hmm. And they're playing with NYPD and NYFD hats on, and they're not wearing Mets gear. And, you know, they're the league be damned. Let's see them fine us all for this, right? You know, and again, New York coming together, stadium fueled by anxiety, just needed the crack of that bat, and everyone gets a couple couple hours of return to normalcy absolutely right yankee stadium is nine blocks away from from ground zero right so yeah uh that's one of your favorite uh, sports documentaries too isn't yeah it? nine innings from ground zero if you haven't watched it go check it out hbo documentary it is incredible uh you get a real feeling for for what new york was feeling and, and why they needed baseball and what sport really meant to them yeah and, if you haven't watched it yet you guys got to go watch it it's an awesome documentary yeah Finally, September 28th, Mike Mussina's strikeout of Jerry Hairston to end the third inning gave the pitcher 200 strikeouts for the fourth time in his career. Roger Clemens also had at least 200 strikeouts, giving the Yankees two pitchers with 200 or more strikeouts for the first time since 1904, when Jack Chesbro and Jack Powell did it. Jack and Jack. Jack and Jack. Not Jack and Jill, but Jack and Jack. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was, that was the Yankees' season in a nutshell leading up to the playoffs, and and I think you really saw um, the the growth and build of what was a dynasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this is the apex of it. This is the team that's that's going to take them over the top. It's going to give them four championships in four years. They're making history along the way. Something horrific happened. Brings the team together. Brings the city around them. Like this, really looked like a team of destiny. Absolutely. Yeah. Was this their best championship lineup, or are we talking? <sighs> I don't know. There's arguments to be made for any one of those years. You know, we've had some debates over over this uh, around some beers, and a few. Yeah, a couple beers and a couple arguments, and at the end of the day, uh, I think it might be. You know, it, it's really between this and the '99 uh, roster. This has got to be one of the best teams to it's, not it's, win. 
You could argue yeah. the Mariners team this the same Mariner, year, too. The Mariners team. I mean, they're, the, they're in the same boat, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if you lose in the finals or if you lose a series before. Yep. So, at the end of the day, neither of you are picking up the trophy. But, I mean, like, as far as this dynasty goes, it's it's even, you know, it's torn between this and the 99 roster. I, I don't know which one's probably their best championship one, but. I thought the 98 team was actually pretty good, too. Yeah, well, I mean, they're all good. They're, you know, champions. Yeah, they're championship-winning teams, <laughs> yeah. yeah, at the end of the day. I will say the one difference between the uh, – I like the 98 team because they had Daryl Strawberry on the team as their DH. Oh, man, yeah. That guy knows the smell of cocaine. He does. Yeah. And women. Yeah. <laughs> and women. During games, too, like in the clubhouse, like even before he was going up, like he'd be in the hole and he'd take – like it'd be like the fourth inning or something, broad daylight on the road against Toronto or something like that. He'd just take, like, one of the groupies from, you know, that was traveling with the team, do his business in the clubhouse, and then he'd hear, at bat, designated hitter, number 44, Daryl Strawberry. And then he'd come out like nothing nothing ever happened. It was it was remarkable. Just a true showman. Wow. <laughs> like, you want to talk, you man, talk like about I, your rock stars. I can't even imagine, like – doing anything with a full-on erection, let alone trying to hit a ball in the back. <laughs> Could you use your erection to uh, swing the ball? He, oh, might have been able to. he might have been able to, yeah. He might have been able to, yeah. He's probably a little more well-endowed than myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to guess on that. I'm going to say for sure for me. <laughs> that kind of co- covers, for the most part, the year for the Yankees. Um on next, we're, we're kind of looking at the uh, the challenger on the other side of the coin here, yeah. um, the Arizona Diamondbacks. This is the rise of a contender. So in March of 1994, 27 groups representing nine cities had submitted bids in hopes for new expansion teams in Major League Baseball. Based on the successful debuts of the Colorado Rockies and Florida Marlins the year prior, morale was pretty high for the league to expand from 28 teams to 30 teams. Markets such as Buffalo, Nashville, Northern Virginia, Orlando, and Vancouver had put in expansion requests, while others such as Charlotte and Washington had also been rumored to place a bid, but ultimately didn't. One year later, the committee, headed by Boston Red Sox general manager John Harrington, had reached a decision. The winners would begin playing in 1998. The first franchise would be awarded to Tampa Bay, Florida. Debuting as the then Tampa Bay Devil Rays, they would be placed in the AL East, along with Baltimore, Boston, Toronto, and the Yankees. But while the Rays would go on, would struggle with the powerhouses of the AL East at the beginning of its inception, the second expansion team would take a completely different route. Along with Tampa in 1995, Phoenix, Arizona would be awarded the second and final slot that would play in the National League West along with Colorado, Los Angeles Dodgers, San Diego, and San Francisco. They would be named the Diamondbacks, but would drop their city origin and go with their state name instead, officially becoming the Arizona Diamondbacks. But unlike Tampa, Arizona would be competitive right away. Although they finished the 98th season with a 65-97 record, the Diamondbacks would go on to win two of the next three NL West division titles from 1999 to 2001. The additions of feared left-handed all-star pitcher Randy Johnson in 99 and very dependent ace Kurt Schilling in 2000 was the one-two pitching punch that would put them over the top. In 2001, behind Johnson and Schilling's combined 43 wins and the rise of veteran slugger Luis Gonzalez's 57 home runs, Arizona finished the season with 92 victories. But the jury was still out. Could this team really compete with the likes of the Atlanta Braves, who two years prior represented the NL in the World Series? 
or the St. Louis Cardinals, who still had slugging superstar Mark McGuire and NL Rookie of the Year in 2001 Albert Pujols. Pujols! Many questions would be answered as the D-backs rolled into the postseason with a confident swagger. So this Arizona team, it sounded like it, you know, it didn't take them at all to be a competitor right off the bat. I they made some smart moves. I mean, they they really kind of set the groundwork for how you be successful uh, quickly in an expansion market. You saw the, some of the lessons learned from you know what Arizona did in the Vegas Golden Knights draft. You know, granted the rules were quite a bit different and allowed them to pick better players, but they made trades. They you know took on salary cap hits that were you know it, were crippling other teams. Right, you know, like they took on a lot of those contracts, but then also got draft picks and prospects and NHL-ready players, and they made their team competitive. And you saw that with this Arizona Diamondbacks team. Yes. You know, the the management went out and they went and found vets. They went and found Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, um, Luis Gonzalez. Um, it seemed oh, like they geez, wanted to yeah. strike fear into everybody. Tony like, Womack, right, man. Tony Womack. That's that's your boy. That's my guy. Yeah. Again, amazing jerseys. I'm getting a Tony Womack one. See, the Diamondbacks jerseys, like when they first started out, I thought they were better than the Devil Ray jerseys. Well, they are. Yeah. yeah. No, Direct comparison, absolutely yeah. better. Yeah. The Rays ones are still good. Yes. Fuck you, you're an idiot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with Tagger. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> basically what Tag is saying is, uh, I hate to say I told you so, but you're a fucking idiot and we told you so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. I'm getting ganged up over here, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what? It's, <laughs> it's completely fine. It's... One of the many exceptions I'll accept here on Stories from the Nosebleeds. But anyways, uh, let's go through some of the Diamondbacks. Uh, let's go through the timeline. Now, here's the one. We got to start. This we, is the best one. This is the best one. I, I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> we have to start with this. So if you're not a hardcore baseball fan, you had to know, like, March 20th. Man, you've seen this. Even if you're not a hardcore baseball fan, you've seen this video that we're about to talk about. Yeah, even if you're not a sports fan in general. Yeah. March 25th, 2001. It's a preseason game. Randy Johnson kills a dove flying in front of home plate with a pitch in the seventh inning of a 10-5 exhibition win <laughs> against the San Francisco Giants. The bird flew over the ca- over catcher Rob Baharis's head and landed a few feet from the plate amid a sea of feathers. Man, he wasn't messing around either. Like, that ball was cruising. It's a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. This thing just turns to dust. Like, just a pink mist over the plate. Like, well, I was to say, it's one of those videos that, to this day, well, nearly 20 years later, is still regularly shown on sports highlight shows, yeah. uh, you know, funniest moments, etc. Yeah. Like, it's brilliant. It's fantastic. <laughs> I just, like, obviously, you know, it's an animal, and you never want to see an animal die, but, like, for the, the odds, the odds of a bird flying in front of a fastball and then managing to get hit by it, yeah, uh, unreal. I would say you, you almost never even see a bird within camera shot of home plate, let alone flying directly between the pitcher and the batter. Right. Unbelievable. <laughs> you guys remember that show, uh, Sports Science? I do. Uh, I can't remember what network it was on, but anyways, um, so they tried to reenact that uh, that pitch, and uh, they tried it a hundred times, and they couldn't get it. They said what Randy Johnson did that day in San Francisco, or I think it was – I don't know where the game was played. It might have been San Francisco. Said March 25th would be the uh, preseason. Yeah, it's probably somewhere Spring in the training. desert. Probably yeah. somewhere in the desert. Yeah, somewhere. But uh, they said they tried it 100 times, and they couldn't get it. I'm not surprised. I no. mean, yeah. how many pitches are thrown in a year? 
period. And how many years has baseball been going on? And how many and birds? It's have only been happened once. <laughs> I haven't it's, seen anything like that. I, we're talking millions of pitches at this it's, point. It's like, more than one in. It's one one in millions. Yeah. Like the odds. To be. The odds are astronomical. You probably got better odds to win the lottery. Guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. What would you rather do though? Win the lottery or hit a? Oh, win the lottery. Or hit. I a... don't need to hear the end of it. Win the lottery. Yeah, win the don't lottery. Don't ask stupid questions. No, win the lottery. <laughs> But he, I, he already won the lottery before he hit. Yeah, he's a professional duck. athlete. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, win the lottery. But you would be like one of only two people on this planet that said I hit a dove while it was flying. Through. Yeah, but if I had thirty million dollars, I could buy a million baseballs and a million doves and try it. <laughs> and you would be unsuccessful. Yeah. <laughs> Just like on sports science. Yeah. <laughs> but hey. But you I'd have try. the money to do it. You could and try. That's the important part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll go on to uh, April twenty sixth. Luis Gonzalez homered twice in a victory over Atlanta at Bank One Ballpark and broke the NL record with 13 home runs in April. Yeah, there was a few others that have uh, matched the mark of 12, uh, which were uh, Willie Stargell? Stargell? Oh, yeah, Willie Stargell. Yeah, my boy from the Pirates. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's not that's not me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mike Schmidt, Barry Bonds, and Gary Sheffield. And they held the previous mark of, what, 12? 12, yes, sir. Yeah, that's a pretty good company. Tag, you've been to uh, uh, Bank One Ballpark. How is it? Beautiful stadium. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't there while it was called uh, Bank One, but uh, Chase Field it is now, and uh, it's pretty incredible facility. It's, uh, you know, with the, re- the retractable roof, um, there's, there's sections in the wall that open up, um, and even just its location right downtown, it's, it's a fantastic ballpark. Downtown Phoenix? Yep. Uh, we'll move on to uh, May 8th. Arizona's Randy Johnson struck out 20 batters in nine innings of an 11-inning victory over Cincinnati at Bank One Ballpark. Johnson's total was one strikeout shy of the major league record for strikeouts in an extra inning game set by Washington's Tom Chaney on September 12, 1962 against Baltimore. 20 strikeouts in a game. That has got to be really hard to do. Like we mentioned Clemens earlier, uh, striking out 20 Mariners in 86. But Randy had a chance to do it in an extra inning game, so he could have just blitzed the mark if they kept him in. Yeah, yeah, he could have. And the scary thing is, Randy Johnson probably could have, probably could have pitched a couple more innings. He would have wanted to. Yeah. If they would have left him, he would have been given that, thumbs up to the bolt. That guy, the, that uh, guy was a dugout. machine, man. His his arm was made out of titanium. Did you fear? Did you fear more in Seattle, or did you fear more in Arizona? Arizona. Yeah. Arizona, hundred and ten percent. Like he was, he was incredible in Seattle. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like he struck everybody out in Arizona, everybody, like unbelievable. Yeah, the guy, the guy was lights out in Arizona. Still had it. I can't. Can you imagine if uh, Randy stayed on that 01 Mariners team? Oh my god. Okay, so that's the thing. If he stays on this this 01 Mariners team, do they have the salary cap to, or not the salary cap, but the salary to spend on other players? To build up the roster that they were able to. They probably don't because they had to get rid of Griffey. Or um, Griffey got traded to Cincinnati that year. Yeah. And they also got rid of Alex Rodriguez as well. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. And, and Which I, is some big names going out. It's three huge names leaving. Okay, here's a question actually. if So we'll say Randy Johnson, Ken Griffey Jr., hmm. Alex Rodriguez. You can only keep one. Who are you keeping? Ooh. Ken Griffey he plays every day. That's true, and probably at that time the best fielder in baseball. Yeah. Who would you keep, Tag? 
have a hard time arguing that, honestly. That uh, I feel like that pretty much caps it. <laughs> Keep Griffey? Yeah. yeah. Great in the locker room. Oh, he's, yeah, absolutely. He's, Class he's act. Great baseball player. Yes. Great fielder. Great at the plate. A-Rod, young, awesome baseball player. Plays short or third. Can do everything at the plate. Can be a locker room issue. Can be a cancer in the locker room, yeah. I, I don't know if he was he was necessarily a cancer at that stage. No. But I think at that point there was some problem showing. Maybe later on when he went to the Rangers or the Yankees, he started to show up in the news every now and well, again. Well, and, and how can you not get an inflated ego with a contract like that? Yeah, what, $375 million he got paid <laughs> oh with, with the Yankees? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Talk my, about hitting the lottery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would be a royal prick. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. I believe it too. <laughs> uh, let's go to uh, May 17th. Luis Gonzalez hit a pair of home runs in a victory over the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field and reached a 20-homer mark in the Diamondbacks' 41st game, the fastest in Major League history. Uh, Mickey Mantle set the previous record when he hit 20 home runs in the in the New York Yankees' first 42 games of the 1956 season. All right, well, uh, fast forward to June 8th. Gonzalez had his first career three-homer game and the second in Diamondbacks history in a victory over Kansas City. Uh, July 19th, Randy Johnson broke the major league record with 16 strikeouts in relief against the San Diego Padres. In relief? In relief. That's absurd. 16 strikeouts in relief. Well, yeah, but it, the game was uh, suspended due to rain, um, so not postponed. Oh, really? Yeah. No, so no, no. Power outage. Power outage? Power outage. Oh. Yeah. I'm an idiot. <laughs> but I mean. But the, maybe the rain caused a power outage. No, I, it's, thank you. But, <laughs> 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 but I mean, if, if you can have a battery of, uh, you know, Randy Johnson coming in in relief of Kurt Schilling. Yeah. You're not winning. No, <laughs> no, and I mean it, it's a strategy that uh, the skipper uses a couple times throughout the year to uh, great success. Yeah, I mean obviously it's uh, it's bound to happen. I mean the uh, the previous mark for that uh, league record was Walter Johnson uh, with fifteen in eleven and one third innings. Holy man! Either way, just absurd. Uh, July twenty fourth. Uh, Luis Gonzalez broke Jay Bell's team record for homers in a season when he belted his 39th and 40th home runs of the year in 11 nothing trounce over San Diego. Bell hit 38 homers in 1999. August 12th, here's a name. Junior Spivey collected his second five-hit game in only 26 career starts. He is only the fifth player in the last 50 years to have two five-hit games as a rookie. Which is just absurd. But I mean, like, gotta be a flash in the pan. I don't remember him at all. I just like the name. Yeah, Junior Spivey. I, I, that's what I mean. It's a yeah. very remem- it's, it's a it's memorable a, name. I was gonna say if he had uh, a little bit more going on, I'd probably know a little bit more about him. Yeah, I until we started doing research for this, I couldn't remember. August twenty third, Randy Johnson. Here he is again. Struck out sixteen in seven innings in a five one loss to the Pirates, becoming the first pitcher to Boo. strike out three hundred in four straight seasons. Boo. Well, I mean, <laughs> until this point, Johnson ninety eight to two thousand. Nolan Ryan, 72-74, to 74, were the only pitchers with three consecutive 300 strikeout seasons. That's a three. He went to Arizona, and he started striking out everybody. <laughs> when it comes to strikeouts, I hear 250 a lot. Like, if you get 250, that's an exceptional year. But 300 is just off the fucking chain. Is oh. anybody doing that lately? 
Well, no, because nobody gets to eat innings like that anymore. No, True. You, no, you only go on an average of, what, five, six innings? Well, you only, yeah. you go Let's through the lineup twice. If you're having a good game, you go through the lineup twice, and then you're out. That's it. And until you get to the playoffs, and then the managers start doing it based on feel, unless you're the Tampa Bay Devil Rays and you feel like losing. I was just about to go that uh, route. You know what? Let's just not. <laughs> I feel bad enough for them already. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to open up that can of worms, or do you want to leave it? I mean, no. Let's just we'll we'll, we'll pull back around when we do the 2020 World Series. There you go. <laughs> uh, August 29th. Uh, here's Luis Gonzalez again. He became the 19th player to hit 50 home runs in a season. I mean, Gonzo really was joining some elite company that year, right? He he, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, both Sammy Sosa. Like I got bad buck teeth. Sosa. Sammy Sosa. <laughs> Uh, both hit the uh, 50 home run mark earlier in the year. Um, this is the only time, in, second time in baseball history that three players uh, in the league had hit 50 home runs in a season, and they're all three in the NL. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, I felt like you're talking about Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling are striking everybody out, but these guys are still putting up 50 home runs. Like, yeah, we, we were in a special time for baseball. Absolutely. This was the glory, or for, for my money, the golden age of baseball. Steroid era, baby. <laughs> I, I love the steroid era. Uh, September 18th, uh, the the uh, partner in crime to Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, collected his 2,000th career strikeout in the third inning of a 10-9 loss to Colorado. September 22nd, Damian Miller's two singles gave him 100 hits, helping the Diamondbacks tie an NL record for most players with nine with at least 100 hits in the same season. Nine guys with 100 hits. Yeah, their entire playoff lineup had 100 hits in it. So if you're pitching to the Arizona Diamondbacks, you're pitching to a guy with 100 hits that year. Mm -hmm. Every night in the playoffs. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, three teams have ever done that. The last was St. Louis back in 1979. So. Yeah. I mean, incredible, right? So it, it's really no surprise. Like, you, you look at the, the underlying numbers there. You got nine guys that hit 100 hits. You got Randy Johnson, over 300 strikeouts. You've got Kurt Schilling, over 250 strikeouts. Uh, you've got a closer out of Korea, Byung Young Kim, who is taking the league by storm and is having a great season as a submarine pitcher. I, I, I love... I was going to say, I love a good submarine pitcher. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it works for a while because people are not used to seeing that. And then they watch enough film or get enough feel, see him enough times. And all of a sudden, that submarine pitcher is just leaving him in the wheelhouse on anyone that he has to pitch the same arm to, right? I find like there's two different styles of uh, submarine pitchers the ones that just kind of sidearm, like mid level. And then there's the ones that come in with like a boxing uppercut kind of style. When, when I say submarine, I mean guys dragging fucking knuckles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what Kim was. He was coming underneath. On, on the mound. Yeah, that stuff was yeah. nasty too. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. L- love to see a fucking slider or, you know, some oddball pitch actually rise rather than fucking dive and just shit like that. Just move in directions that those pitches normally wouldn't move. Yeah. Love it. That guy was nasty though. He was a real good pitcher. Yes. Uh, and then October 5th, Arizona beat Milwaukee 5-0, and San Francisco lost to Los Angeles 11-10 to to give the Diamondbacks the NL West division title. So this is exactly what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Arizona loses this game. San Francisco wins their game. San Francisco's in the playoffs. Arizona's not. Could be completely different. Wild. Mm-hmm. Wild. Yeah. Right? Looking back on it now, it's like, That was a okay, tough division, too. That was an incredible division. 
right? Like when you're you're looking at that division that year, you've got the Diamondbacks ninety two and or ninety two and seventy, the Giants ninety and seventy two, Dodgers eighty six and seventy six, Padres seventy nine and eighty three, Rockies seventy three and eighty nine. We're talking baseball. We're talking one hundred and sixty two games a year. That is a nasty division. Mm-hmm. Like anyone that's got to go there is knows they're in for a game. Tag, I can't believe we lost to the fucking Dodgers on the last game of the year to get into the playoffs. For, for us being for us being Giants fans, that one stings. That one stays with you for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if it was literally any other team, you could eat it. Uh, if it's an NOS team, I mean, you know, looking, I, it would still hurt less. It, it, it would still it, hurt. Oh less. yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So yeah, that's the Diamondbacks in a nutshell. You know, rise of a contender, absolutely. Oh yeah, the, those guys had a plan and they executed it. Again, an excellent work by the management team there. Um, but you know, when you're talking about management teams and the work that they did uh, to to create a powerhouse, it, we cannot talk about the 2001 um, regular season season in general without talking about the Seattle Mariners. And that's why we're staying on the West Coast. So in 1906, the Chicago Cubs finished the regular season with a 116 and 36 record. That gave them a .763 winning percentage, which to this day is still the best in modern-day Major League Baseball history. For those of you that don't uh, understand percentages and things like that, uh, when it comes to sports, they won more than three quarters of their games. <laughs> three out of four. That's unbelievable. But if you were to compare to the 1906 Chicago Cubs to any team in any sport in recent memory. You would probably think of the 2007 New England Patriots, Boo. who would go on to have Boo. a perfect regular season of 16-0 and that year. Boo. Yeah, we know. There's the Spygate and undefeated season. And it's okay. Oh. They still lost. Just Boston. Yes. <laughs> it was a good result if you're not a Patriot fan. And the entire country celebrated. To compare two teams in two different sports might sound a little ridiculous, but when it comes to the 1906 Cubs and the 07 Patriots, there are a lot of similarities. For the most part, they're all positive. Records were being broken left, right, and center. Mordecai Brown, the Cubs' ace that season, finished the year with a 26-6 and record, 144 strikeouts, and a 1.04 ERA, which is the lowest for any player to pitch at least 250 innings in a season. Combined with the other seven pitchers on that staff, they would put together an ERA of 1.76. Ridiculous. Best in the majors that year. <laughs> with a ton of momentum behind them, the Cubs steamrolled their way into the World Series. But just like the Patriots in 07, when it came time for them to make their mark in sports history, the unthinkable happened. The Cubs were stunned and lost in six games. The irony? The World Series trophy would, in fact, stay in Chicago, but it would be the other team from the Windy City, the Chicago White Sox, who would go on to win and capture their first title. For decades, it would seem like nobody would be able to match or be up to the task of accomplishing what the Cubs did in 1906. It really did look like a, an untouchable record, right? Like Gretzky's points and goals records in a season. Like those, those are, are records that like no one's going to touch. And this this record was one that was in that pantheon. Mm-hmm. Say, let's fast forward ninety five years later. Building off their ninety one and seventy one record in two thousand, the Seattle Mariners were looking to take that next step in two thousand one. They would suffer the losses of pitcher Randy Johnson to the expansion Arizona Diamondbacks in nineteen ninety eight, plus. The trade that sent all-star outfielder Ken Griffey Jr. to the Cincinnati Reds just two years later and following the 2000 season, they would ship third baseman Alex Rodriguez to the Texas Rangers. But it did not phase the Mariners. They would replace their departed superstars in the offseason. First, 
Signing speedster, Levs. Scott Pesednik. Thank you. Followed by Silver Slugger second baseman, Brett Boone, whose brother Aaron is the current manager of the New York Yankees. Boone would actually go on to hit 141 RBIs in 2001, the most by any second baseman in AL history. While Pesednik and Boone would contribute to the Mariners' success, it was the signing of a Japanese sensation that would make the biggest impact. Ichiro Suzuki signed with Seattle after spending nine seasons with Osaka's Oryx Buffaloes. In total, he compiled 1,278 hits, a .353 career batting average, and took home seven Gold Glove awards. Anticipation was in the air to see what Ichiro would bring to the table, and he delivered. He would not only take home the American League Rookie of the Year award that year, but also the AL MVP award behind 242 hits, 8 home runs, a .350 batting average, 69 RBIs, and nice. 56 stolen bases. I knew you would like that stat tag. Nice. I feel like anytime you reference 69, you're probably just going to have to put a little pause for me to come in. Yeah, we're, I mean, yeah. We're yeah. like a whole bunch of Rob Gronkowski sitting at this table. Yeah. Whenever we hear the number 69, we're just giggle like schoolgirls. Well, yeah, yeah. That, bunch of toddlers. I mean, yeah. Or, or if there's a 420 on there, we're going to have to laugh. Absolutely. Yeah. A moment of silence for the 420? Or... <laughs> Spark one up. Spark one up. Uh, But with Ichiro leading the charge, the Mariners sent eight players, eight, to the All-Star game, which ironically was being held at their new stadium, Safeco Field, in Seattle. Ichiro, Boone, Edgar Martinez, and Mike Cameron were just some of the big names that represented the American League team that year. By season's end, the unreachable task of 116 wins set by the Cubs in 1906 was attained. Seattle tied the record for most wins in a season, going 116-46 and and finishing 14 wins ahead of second-place Oakland in 2001. 14 wins ahead. When when you win 116 games and you're only 14 wins ahead? Oh, yeah. That, that, that goes to show how good that Oakland team was, too. 106-win Oakland team, you know, they... They're, or sorry, 102. They're 102 and 60. They're 14 games back. They're nasty. Okay. Oh so, uh, yeah, that that team. Oakland team, like in the early 2000s, was nothing to sneeze at. No. And at this point in time, the Houston Astros are bouncing around. They haven't found their home yet between the NL and the AL. They're getting passed around like a weed pipe. That's they don't right. know what's going on. <laughs> so the AL West was actually only four teams. And if you think about that for a second, like you've got the Mariners, 116 wins. You've got the Oakland Athletics, 102 wins. And then you just kind of have to feel bad for the Angels and the Rangers. You know, like, you know, 75 and 87, 73 and 89, 41 and 43 games back, respectively. Like, man you got to play these guys 19 or 20 times. Yep. You've got to play the Mariners and the Athletics 19 or 20 times. Those poor guys didn't have a shot that year. That's that's 17 or 16 losses. But I don't (laughs) – Each. Each, yeah. (laughs) But even with the Yankees in the mix, you had to look at the Mariners as the heavy favorites to win the AL pennant. As the calendar flipped to October, would they be able to keep the mojo rolling? Or suffer the same fate as the Cubs almost a century earlier. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and play spoiler here and just let everybody know they failed. You think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, our whole our whole episode here is on the Yankees and the Diamondbacks, so I hope you guys figured it out. They failed, and it's really too bad because you know, like we were talking about with the Diamondbacks, nine players that hit 100 hits, eight guys go to the All Star game. You eight. know, yeah, eight guys go to the All Star game. Your team's nasty. 
At home, too. You're oh, yeah. playing on your home field. Well, you know that at least part of that was, like, why as many guys went. But still, I mean, you don't get to send eight guys. There's no scrubs at the All-Star game. Yeah, and then the other big storyline for them was Ichiro. Like, just yeah. the guy coming over and just taking the league by storm. It, you know, it's incredible to think that Seattle's had two of the most pure and just natural swing batters of all time in Ken Griffey and Ichiro, and I had him back-to-back, like, just blessed with great hitting for a couple of years there, hey? <laughs> Don't forget about Edgar Martinez, too. Absolutely. They right. named a trophy after him. That's, yeah. That's a very good point. That team was just – there wasn't a hole. Uh, no, but um, when you see 116 wins, I mean, obviously, if you're if you're Cleveland that year, like, you see 116 wins and you draw them in the first round, you're just like, what in the F? Oh, yeah, you're either going to get – yeah, when you're Cleveland, you're looking at the postseason. You're kind of sitting there going, "Okay, well, if we're the we're the fourth team in, we're gonna have to play the Mariners. Like this is gonna be just awful. Like we got to try and get ahead of, damn, the Athletics. Okay, who else do we have to try and get ahead of? Oh, oh, the three-time defending world champions as well. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like what do we do here? Yeah, like we're just outmatched. Yeah, and and you know I think they did the best that they could. Uh, Cleveland, they, they, they at least you know put a, a team out there that was mildly competitive, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll kind of get into a little, that a little bit later. Yeah, I think that pretty well sums it up. And I mean, I don't don't think there's much more that needs to be said in regards to the Mariners. I mean, well, uh, there was uh, some team history going on in 2001 with the Mariners. There was also some individual history going on in 2001. Oh yeah, with uh, the great Barry Bonds as he was chasing 70 home runs. Barry Bonds. After spending seven seasons with the Pittsburgh Pirates, signed with the San Francisco Giants in 1993. Yeah. That season, he would win his second consecutive MVP award. Known for his all-around play as a member of the Pirates, Bonds would be mostly known for his hitting when he moved to the city by the bay. That was on full display in his first eight seasons, as Bonds soared up among the league leaders in home runs and RBIs year after year. In 2001, he took it to another level. One night, he'd hit two home runs. The next day, he hit four. It was officially established that the most feared hitter resided in San Francisco, California. Let's take a closer look at the numbers. Runs that year scored? 129. Hits? 156. Doubles? 32. Triples? 2. RBIs? 137. Stolen bases? 13. But while those are impressive numbers, which earned Bonds yet another NL MVP trophy, Everyone and their grandmother were all tuned in to see if he could do what seemed untouchable just three years prior. Break the single-season home run record. And boy, howdy did he. Man. (laughs) So you noticed uh, when Barry moved to San Francisco, he got a little bit bigger. It's weird that Belko's labs are there. What do you mean? They have labs in San Francisco. Labs? Yes. Oh. Places for people Uh, to go and see uh, the doctor. Yes, yes. It's strange. I see. It's strange. Well, they have those clinics, too, in New York. And, they do, and Miami as and well. And Miami. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird that they're in those places. Yeah, I know. <laughs> weird how that works. But you know what? At the end of the day, we did talk about it. Like He's still got to make round bat, hit round ball. And he had 156 hits that year. 73? 73. 73 went yard. 32 were doubles. That man had over 100 hits. That went either out of the yard or for a two-bagger. That's impressive. I don't care about the steroid stuff. I really don't. I want to see the steroid Olympics. 
Like I, I, <laughs> I don't think it's fair. Whatever. I don't care. If you want to do steroids and you want to wreck your body in the long term for short term success, short term gain, I will watch. I will watch. Absolutely, hundred and ten percent. And you don't think it's fair that everyone in the league doesn't do steroids? Well, then let everybody do steroids or let them not. If they can hang, they can hang. I, I'm in. I'm in. I want to see it. I want to see someone run a hundred meters in six seconds. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> steroid Olympics would be fantastic. Yeah. How high can a human really jump? Yeah. How far can they really jump? I want to see somebody jump the pit. You know, like and land on their feet beyond. Like ah! <laughs> I want them to land in the next country. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah some of those small European countries, you probably could. Yeah. 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 Luxembourg. Yeah. yeah. That's the one I was thinking. Of. <laughs> so, I mean, how many how many times did he get walked that season? Anybody have that number? I, I don't have that right in front of me, actually. I believe he got walked 232 times that year. Yeah, okay. So he gets on base, <laughs> what, over 300, over oh, close to 400 times. Whether it's a hit, whether it's a walk. Whether it's a hit or a walk, you're on base. Yeah. His OBP must have been wild. Like, I, can you search it up? I probably can, yeah. Actually. I, I got to know. I have to know what his OBP was that year. Well, and I mean, he, even just factoring, like, 13 stolen bases. That's still pretty impressive. For oh, him. yeah, when you're hitting that kind of power. Yeah, you're going to let some of the speed go. Yeah. Right? Like, you're, you're getting bulky. you got to let some of the speed go. To, this. to get 13 more stolen bases on top of that, it, like you're saying, is really impressive. I was going to ask, uh, so out of the three of us, Tag, you've actually been to that ballpark where Barry hit over half of his home runs. Is it like a really hard park to hit a home run in, or do you find that it's very easy? Depends which hand you hit. Right. Oh, so yeah. Barry was a left-hander. Is it easier to hit it over the right field wall or the left field wall? It's easier to put it over McCovey for sure. So the left. So if you're a left-handed, if you're a left-handed batter, hitter, it does aid you in that park. Now I would say it's still one of the tougher home run hitting parks in the league. I'd say generally speaking. I mean, yeah. straightaway center was 419 feet. It just recently got changed because of uh, the addition of the uh, actual bullpens rather than being on the field. Yeah. So I, I I'm not sure what the exact number is now straightaway center, but like I mean, it's a big ballpark. So let's kind of analyze uh, Barry here a little bit. So let's say you're a baseball voter in 2001 and you didn't have an AL or NL MVP. You just had one vote for an MVP this year. Just the MLB MVP. Just the MLB MVP. Who would you, who would your vote be for? Bonds or Itchy? I'm going to need a minute. I think I'd have to go Bonds. And that's probably, I, I mean, when I usually look at a most valuable player, and I, I know the voters don't always look at it this way, but I always look at the team they're on and what they brought to the team that, uh, you know, what wasn't there prior. Mm-hmm. I mean, that Mariners team was damn good. If they didn't have Ichiro, they'd still be pretty good. They wouldn't be 116 wins good, but they'd probably be, I don't know, probably like where the Diamondbacks were, maybe like 92, 93 wins. Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas I think... You take Bonds out of that team, and they are bottom of that division by a long shot. Yeah. Like, I think he was the heart and soul of that team um, without him. So, I mean, that just, just on that factor alone, um, when, when you use the words most valuable player, I think Bonds was more valuable to the Giants than Ichiro was to the Mariners. Mm-hmm. Just in that aspect. In terms of their performance, both were incredible in their own rights. Because I think at the time you had, like, with the Giants, I think you got, had guys like uh, J.T. Snow. Uh, Jeff Kemp might have been there. Jeff Kemp was there, yeah. Yeah, Jeff Kemp might have been there. Um, I'm 
trying to think of who else might have been there. Uh, those are the two that come to mind. Uh, I know Omar Omar Vizquel was there, but I think that was like a little bit later. I, I think, think that was, was a little bit later. Yeah, I, th- I think he was still in Cleveland at the time. If I'm Man, not that mistaken, that guy could play baseball. Yes, mm-hmm. silky smooth too. Uh, is Bonds uh, this generation's Babe Ruth? If hold we had on, to hold on, I got I still have to vote here. Oh yeah, sorry. Just uh, I'm just taking a quick look at something here. Yes, are you crunching numbers? I'm just crunching some numbers. Gotcha. I just want to wanna make sure I was right about it. Okay, so um, baseball is played at <coughs> pardon me two different places. It's played at the bat at the mound or sorry at the di- at the batter's box and on the field. Uh, both of them were silver sluggers. Both of them were MVPs. Only one of them was a Gold Glove as well. And that was Ichiro. Mm-hmm. Ichiro is my guy. I gotta take him. Again, he could play. He he could play every game. And you're the one seed in the AL that year too. So yeah. If if um if the Giants made the playoffs that year, I would probably vote for Barry. But since they didn't, I probably have to give it to Ichiro. And the guy had a pretty big impact. Whereas Bonds was going for a record, and Ichiro kind of came out of left field, kind of like Kurt Warner did in '99 with the Rams, just kind of out of left field. So I I I'd probably have to go with Ichiro. But you would go with Bonds or Tag? I think so. Ju- just on the uh, the merit that I gave, I like. I By totally the way, understand. that's not a wrong answer either. No, no, no and yeah, that's why no. the discussions ha- being had, right? And yeah. Like, I think comparing the type of teams they're on and what they mean to that team uh, isn't a thing that's valued quite as much by uh, most voters so in my head that's that's quite literally in the name <laughs> that's a that's a good enough reason to vote but, bonds for mvp too uh-huh. but yeah. you as well loves going, oh, yeah, with, yeah. Uh, going with hichiro as the gold i agree glove. with both there, there's definitely arguments on both sides yeah, yeah. perfect you're wrong but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> so i mentioned earlier or i asked earlier uh is barry bonds this generation's babe ruth no there's only one babe ruth but like for us like um Obviously, we didn't see Babe Ruth play like uh, back in the day. I think Roger Maris is a better comparison. To Babe Ruth? No, to Barry Bonds. Oh, to Barry Bonds. Okay, I yeah. see. I see. Um, Maybe Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle would be up there. Yeah, yeah. that's 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 a good choice. Um, Reggie Jackson? Yeah. Reggie Jackson, I feel, would be a good comparison to Bonds. Absolutely. I, I just, you know, Barry or um, Babe Ruth was just such a unique... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, uh, superstar. I, uh, you know, I, I do like doing these comparison exercises. I think they're fun, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, but truly, there's certain players in history that there there just isn't a comparison to, right? You know, um, I don't think that there's a true comparison to Wayne Gretzky as anybody else because nobody thought the game. Bobby Orr, same thing. I don't think that there's a true comparison there, right? Babe Ruth, um, you know, I I just don't I don't see anyone that I, I think would make a true comparison to them, right? But that, that just, you know, like you said, everyone's welcome to their own opinion. So I I'm, I, I could very well be wrong, right? I mentioned uh, Reggie Jackson, but uh, I'm looking over and I'm looking at that new frame that you got, actually, and that's the <laughs> that's the answer it should be. Uh, Willie Mays. So Tag's got a photo of uh, Willie Mays and Barry Bonds after uh, Barry hit a 600, 600th home run, I believe. Well, yeah, it was shortly after. that. The photo's taken at the uh, 2 All-Star game, so at the I mean, All-Star. one year after everything we're discussing here. Yeah. What about uh, Barry? So we could kind of bring in uh, Roger Clemens into this uh, de- debate. Uh you know what? Let's just do the whole steroid debate right now. Let's just hash this thing out right now. Let's just do it. Do it. All right. All right. Well, I mean, to clarify, the debate we're ha- about to have is uh, 
should steroid accused people be put into the Hall of Fame? I am torn, personally. Um, Like I said earlier, I'm all for the steroid Olympics. I'm all for steroid baseball. I want to see what the human body can do. But if that's not in the rules, you're still a cheater. So that part of my brain is kind of like, no, not at all. But then, you know, the other aspect of me, you know, kind of kicks in and goes, well, it's still a hundred, you know, mile an hour fastball, high 90 mile an hour fastball. And you've still got to hit it with a round bat while it's moving through the air. Like, that's still impressive to yeah, say. Yeah, I it's mean, PEDs so don't impressive. put the bat on the ball. No, they at don't. At the end of the day. Right? You know, they... They, they give the extra power behind it. Uh, maybe a little bit more extra speed. You know, maybe yep. the muscles muscles are able to react a little bit faster. But at the end of the day, the hand-eye coordination still has to be there. And, and Barry Bonds doesn't hit 73 home runs without, at first, being one of the purest hitters the league's ever seen. And, and you know, that's that's true. Right, you know, he, again, baseball bloodlines. The guy knew how to hit a baseball, right? So, um, at the end of the day, uh, they played the ones accused. You know, played outside of the rules, and so for me, that means that you you can't if if they can prove that while you were playing in the major leagues, that you were using steroids, or you know, there is some sort of doubt that hangs there, then. I'm sorry, you sh- you don't belong in the the Hall of Fame because the Hall of Fame is inside the rules it's an exalted place it's not like what they did was outside of the field of play the things that they did had an effect on their feet the field of play so for me it's a no so do the records stand yeah the records you still have to you still have to do the thing yep yeah yeah i don't need the asterisk i feel like this is less of a debate than than you thought it was going to be i agree uh, yeah i feel like you covered all the bases and honestly touched Pretty much both sides. I fully expected you to just come in and just be like, no, no, <laughs> fuck you, you're an idiot, no. Yeah. <laughs> but no. you pretty much answered all, all, the, uh, all right, well. the the questions and statements that could have been made about it. All right. And uh, pretty much summed it up, Well, in my opinion. Hey, sometimes you get some wins like that. <laughs> that worked out pretty good. Take a W while you can. Absolutely. And I mean, the, the, the one final thing to uh, kind of wrap up the regular season as a whole, you've mentioned before, kind of the, the swan song for – Two greats, uh, yeah. uh, Cal Ripken and uh, Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn. Yeah. yeah. So both guys were, uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Jinx, you owe me a soda. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> so I believe, um, yeah, Cal Ripken Jr. and Tony Gwynn in 2001, they made their final uh, regular season appearances. Uh, I believe they were drafted together both in the 1982 MLB draft. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of like uh, the Elway Marino comparison. They were drafted the same year. Elway retired a year before Marino did, but it's kind of cool to see two guys that you watch get drafted together and watch like 15, 20 year careers. Yeah. And then they both uh, exit the game at the exact same time, the way that Cal and uh, Tony did. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool to see. They become legends and get to ride off into the sunset together. And when you think of uh, the Baltimore Orioles. And the San Diego Padres, when I think Orioles, I think Cal Ripken Jr. When I think Padres, I think Tony, Tony Gwynn. Gwynn. Yeah. So they're both the cornerstones or the franchises of their uh, respect, respective brands. Yeah. 
So, I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, in the All-Star game, uh, both guys got selected to the All-Star game. Cal Ripken Jr., actually, that game hit uh, hit a home run. Oh, yeah, they left a meatball over the plate for him for sure. Yeah, yeah. but I mean... <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, again, we've had this debate off-air before. I, I, I love it. I think it's the greatest thing that the, the MLB All-Star game gets to have those moments because it actually means something, or at that time actually meant something. So, you know, if a guy wants to let a legend ride off into the sunset at their final all-star game and feed him a meatball over the plate and let him hit a dinger. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Cool. That's Got it. awesome. That's, that's so cool. The ultimate sign of respect, you know, like it's one of those cool things in sport that just doesn't happen or doesn't get to happen in other sports. That's because most other leagues, the, uh, the all-star game is honestly kind of a joke. Oh, it's a purely an exhibition. Yeah. Right? You know. Whereas at least in the MLB, it's it's still a game. There's yeah. something on the line during yeah. the MLB All Star Game. It's yeah. for home field advantage during the World Series. Was yeah. was yeah. Was. That's that's what it was at the time. Yeah. No longer is. Because oh. they had that those extra inning games, <laughs> and guys were like, "My pitcher's not doing more than two innings. Get him out of there. We're gonna have to have a tie." Yeah. <laughs> so they had to do a coin flip for who was gonna have the yeah. To keep telling the story of the 01 World Series, uh, we'd be remiss to not talk about uh, the tragedy that happened on September 11th. The uh, World Trade Center uh, terrorist attacks, as well as the attacks on the Pentagon and the flight that was taken down in Pennsylvania, it froze time. It seemed in North America. I mean, we're all. I mean, we're Canadian too, and you know, obviously, you know, our direct next door neighbors to the south of us, uh, you know, obviously that's one of the biggest moments, probably in our lifetime to date. It was definitely a turning point in history. You know, something that had uh, some long-term effects, but uh, for us, though, uh, here, it, it, it turned the world, uh, North America, I should say, into uh, New York Yankees, New York Mets fans. You know, we talked about earlier about how the, the Yankees really are the, the heart and soul of New York City, and uh, they really are a symbol for them, and <clears throat> the closest that uh, most people could do as you know spreading cheer to nyfd nypd uh the citizens of new york city was to cheer for the yankees and um i think you saw that you know especially in the playoffs yeah right? for sure yeah people cared and i mean yeah you know, like once he's again you mentioned earlier that uh, nobody cheers for the yankees except yankees fans there's yeah. nobody that has like a soft spot for the yankees yeah, it's a uh, us against the world kind of mentality. Yeah, yeah. so for an ev- a one singular event to kind of completely flip the script on that, and suddenly everybody's, uh, you know, just pulling for New York in some capacity. That's pretty wild. Do you guys remember where you were? Like, were you guys like getting ready for school or? Yeah, I was watching uh, cartoons, and I remember being furious at first. Yeah, because uh, cartoons got cut off, and mm-hmm. they jumped over to a news channel like YTV. Nope, no more Pokemon. Yeah, <laughs> you are gonna watch some horrific event that you don't understand. That a eleven-year-old uh, <laughs> is gonna. Yeah, yeah, you don't got quite the context when you're that age. No. But as you grow up, you kind of really clue into how massive an event it was. Yeah, yeah, I, I still remember, you know, watching the old uh, tube TVs, right? Yep. And yep. Uh, seeing seeing the the plane go into the second tower and just. Oh, okay. You that know. that was surreal. That, I thought that wasn't a movie. No, you know, like that was. This is real life. This yeah. is actually happening right now. Yeah. This isn't, you know, a stunt. Yeah, yeah. You're not. There's no special <laughs> effects involved. You're not doing yeah. it for cinematic effect. The thing about uh, September 11th as well, though, is that it put a pause to the season, and uh, that pause to the season actually created um, something that the MLB had never seen before, which was a World Series in November. 
Yeah, that's right. Well, not just uh, Major League Baseball, but the uh, NFL also delayed uh, their Week 2 slate of games as well. Uh, they didn't return until the next week. And then from there on out, we've had a Super Bowl mostly in February now. I think uh, it's been like 17 of the last 18 Super Bowls have been played in February with the exception of one. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it changed It changed the tide and it changed sports uh, as far as we know it and as, as we watch it today. Yeah. Yeah, more or less that pushed our World Series into November for the first time ever. Yeah. And uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, we got some guys that kind of got some fun nicknames accordingly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But uh, moving along into the playoffs, I mean, not too much more to be said about that. It's a little more fun as we move on. We don't have to be so uh, grim and uptight about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, We're all talked about it now, so <laughs> when we get to uh, the World Series, we don't have to do it again. You know? That's right. Yeah. We got it out there. We said the thing. We're done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so why don't we uh, why don't we take a look here at uh, the playoffs and how they ran? Uh, I know uh, Jesse, you were watching a couple of games here recently. Let's start. With, let's start with the Yankees. Okay. Yeah. So uh, they took on Oakland. You know what? For like the way the series kicked off, Oakland went up two games to nothing, and you thought for a second that uh, oh man, here comes Oakland going into. 100-win team, man. Say yeah. they're a good team. It's, yeah. it's oh, not yeah. like it was that much of a surprise for them to yeah. go out, really put a stamp on it. Yeah. But but for those of you that watched Moneyball, this, yeah. is, this is the opening scene. It is. That's yeah. right. Uh, thank you, Jesse, for letting me steal your line. Oh, yeah. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I, I, I said beforehand it wasn't copyright infringement, so, I mean, <laughs> it's, op- it's open to the public at that That's point. That's fair. That's fair. But, yeah, they, uh, so Yankees athletics, it's a pretty interesting matchup. Uh I believe uh, the Yankees actually went three three and six against Oakland in two thousand and one. That's correct. Yeah. So it was a very interesting matchup. Maybe a lot of people thought that Oakland might be able to, you know, give the Yanks a little bit of a challenge, and they certainly did, especially in the first two games. Absolutely, but, absolutely. Yeah. You're looking at the other uh, the other ALDS. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, Tag. Oh, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, one thing that we did fail to mention in there is. Uh, there was a, a couple of uh, pretty big highlights or lowlights, depending on the way that you look at it through that series with the athletics. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, game one – or, sorry, it was, it was a game three and poor Jermaine Dye. Uh, that would have been game four, I believe. Game four, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he fouled one back into his own leg. And, unfortunately, on national television in front of the entire world, he had to break his leg right in the batter's box. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. they got to get carts. At baseball games. Yeah, the footage of them literally just like two guys, one guy on either side, just car- like carrying them off as if they're uh, he was their bride per se. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe not the best look for pre- professional baseball at the time. <laughs> no. You'd think there was some sort of uh, um, better method. And of course, uh, Derek Jeter's flip in game three. Yeah. yeah. So like, well, I th- believe it was Bond with the seventh. Uh, Terrence Long hit one down the right field line, and. Uh, Right fielder throws it in, trying to throw it to home, but the ball comes up a little bit short. Yeah, uh, Jeff O'Neill. Yeah, that's or sorry, Paul O'Neill. No, no, not uh, not Paul O'Neill. I believe it was. Was uh, it David Justice? No, it wasn't David Justice. Shane Spencer. They've only got Shane, so many outfielders. Shane Spencer. <laughs> yeah, Shane Spencer. Yeah, that was the guy. Yeah, so Shane Spencer's throw came up a little bit short, um, but here comes Jeter all the way from the shortstop, and he flicks it like a uh, like a shuffle pass, if you will, to Jorge Posada, and yeah. he gets Jeremy Giambi for the out. Beautiful. And right there, the series pretty much uh, turned around for the Yankees. And Tag, we watched it like he, like you said, he was like literally inches from not touching him before he got to. Home yeah, plate. I mean, if watching that full speed, I definitely would have made an argument like I don't know if he got him, but you know, you watch those replays over and over. You know, 
lucky enough as fans, we get to dissect them at uh, extra slow speed, not like the ump's do. And, uh, you know, all credit to those guys. They, oh, yeah. Man, some of the calls they got to make it. The speed the game has played, that's mm-hmm. impressive. Because, yeah. honestly, you know, even with in today's game with uh, replay and stuff like that, it's not a lot of stuff gets overturned. Yeah, it's amazing to see how often the, the umpires, especially in baseball, are right. You know, yeah. the, the strike zone, that's you, one thing. going to leave that out. But when it comes to, you know, the, the bang-bang plays, those guys are really know what they're looking for. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And But, yeah, I mean, you watch it, and honestly, like, he tags him on the back of the calf, and, you know, Giambi's foot's like literal, like maybe an inch, two inches above the plate. Like, it's yeah. that close. It's incredible. Uh, so moving on to the other ALDS, you had the Mariners uh, – or the other ALD series, if you will. ALDS, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the uh, Seattle Mariners and the Cleveland Innings, another five-round, um, another five-game series that went the, uh, went the distance. Uh, the Indians and Mariners split the first two games before the Indians took over in game three, and I do mean took over. Uh, they won 17-2 to two and yeah. just had a, a smashing eighth inning. Just a show yeah, 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 eighth inning. And uh, also the playoff debut of one CC Sabathia. Oh, yeah, he did look good. He yep. did look good. Unfortunately, he wasn't good enough, and the Mariners took the next two games, uh, four and five at Jacobs Field, and then finally at Safeco. Uh, great series, battled hard. Uh, Cleveland just doing Cleveland things. It's a good matchup. It honestly was. Yeah. Like, yep. real good on paper. Yeah. Even, a, like, most of the playoff series had some really good matchups all the way through. Yeah. Especially in that AL side, which was quite strong to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. And then you, you kind of looking at the NL, and you saw a, a couple of teams that had uh, strong but young rosters um, that uh, just couldn't keep up with uh, the veterans on the other side. So, you know, taking a look at the uh, NLDS, the Braves uh, swept the Astros in three. And, I mean, the, those Braves teams in the, the 90s and early 2000s were – that that is good baseball. We we gushed about them enough today. Uh. <laughs> well, I mean, like yeah, at the, like you said, like uh, the Braves. I always say like the Braves in '01 weren't like the Braves of '95, like that World Series yeah. team. Yeah. But they were still a threat. So you still had Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones. You still had the pitching, the pitching for Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a mismatch right from the get go, and you can obviously tell. And then looking at the other. Uh, the other NLDS, uh, the Diamondbacks and Cardinals, again, uh, five-game series that went the distance, all five games. Uh, you've got a – oh, sorry, team. Uh, veteran <laughs> ladle, uh, riddled um, Diamondbacks team <laughs> and uh, a young up-and-coming Cardinals team. Um, you know, Albert Pujols, great game, great name. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, just he, he had a great playoffs, but he couldn't do enough. Yeah. And that Diamondbacks team uh, really was, showed up. I was going to say, with all that hitting power, you, you know, you had Pujols, you had, uh, you know, McGuire there. McGuire. Um, yeah. yeah, like, you know, couldn't match up with that pitching there in Arizona. Nobody could in these playoffs. No. N- not a soul could keep up with the starting pitching that uh, Arizona trotted out uh, game one and two, and then they were, you were going to see them in game four and five, and then probably seven. <laughs> well, and we talked about it earlier. Like that was that was the strength of the Diamondbacks that year. They had the pitching. It was just a matter of you know, can these other guys step up and you know, come through in the clutch? Yeah. And uh, they certainly did. I think it was uh, your boy uh, Tony Womack. That's and, my guy. Yeah, yeah, I think it was him that had the walk off in uh, Game Five to send the uh, Diamondbacks to the. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's correct. Yep. Yeah, I yeah. think it was him that uh, sent the Diamondbacks to the NLCS. Yeah, looking at the NLCS. Um, you know, the like you said, the the ni- the oh one Braves were not the ninety five Braves, and uh, this oh one Diamondbacks team was here to was here to win. 
Yeah, you know. Sure. Um, so they showed up and and they take the series four uh, one, you know, and really kind of kind of walked all over the Braves to be to be completely honest with you. Um, you know, two nothing game one doesn't sound that bad. The Braves come out and lay one on them eight one in game two. Looking at game three though, the Diamondbacks come out five one. Game four, Diamondbacks eleven four. Game five, another tight one, Diamondbacks three two. But really looking at the series, the Diamondbacks dominated the whole way. Um, and uh, the NLCS MVP was, of course, my other guy on the Diamondbacks, Craig Council. Yes. Well, and then, I mean, moving along to the ALCS. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, just fantastic matchup. I mean, the matchup everybody wanted to see. Yeah. Yankees versus the 116-win Mariners. And, you know, I, I think everyone expected the uh, the Mariners to put up more of a fight. Yeah, I, I expected it to go at least seven. I think the whole uh, I think the whole world expected that series. Is there to an go option seven. for more than seven? Yeah, oh, man, <sighs> would have loved that. I would say I would have allowed it. You know what? If, if they had allowed it, I would have wanted it for this World Series. <laughs> <laughs> Give me more. Give me more. Absolutely. So the yeah the Yankees and Mariners came out had a far, hard fought four uh, two victory for the Yankees in game one another tight game in game two three uh, two Yankees but you know uh, both in Safeco so they, if you're the Mariners you can't feel good you're heading to New York you're gonna have to play three straight games in New York you're gonna have to win at least two of them mm-hmm. and um, you know they came out in game three and showed that they could. Yep. Really showed that they could, you know. Fourteen three is not uh, in Yankee Stadium in October is not something that happens a lot, you know. You f- you figured like okay, this is where Seattle's gonna turn it on, and you know now we're in a fight. Yeah. But uh, the rest of the way, it was just now game four. Uh, Yankees win three yeah. one. Ob- obviously with uh, pitching or New oh, York yeah. getting it done with oh, pitching yeah. again. Yeah, Roger. Yeah, Roger. Yeah. Uh, going up against uh, Paul Abbott. Yeah, that's not really the matchup you want if you're the Mariners. No, <laughs> I mean that matchup is not sexy. But do the Mariners have anybody that do do match up well with that? Uh, they had uh, Jamie Moyer on yeah. on that team. Yeah, who was uh, pretty good that yeah, year. Yeah, he, he was an ace. Yeah, he was an ace for sure. Yeah, not bad. Uh, I think game five though. Twelve three Yankees. Yeah, I mean you just kind of knew. Uh, yeah, had to. I mean, if you were the Mariners and and you're in that game, you, you kind of had to know that that was coming. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, the 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 AL uh, CS MVP Andy Pettit really he he showed up. Um, you know, two wins, uh, strong starts, um, uh, long games. Right. Yeah. He, he he did everything he could to help them win. Um, you know, setting us up, uh, looking forward now to uh, a delicious World Series matchup. Uh, the between... moment we've all been waiting oh, for. Oh, yeah. I am horny, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> but this this was one for the ages. Um, you know, hot take. Going to hit you guys with a hot take. I was, I was teasing these guys with it um, early on. The Diamondbacks dominated this series, but it is still one of the best series of all time. Are you talking about as far as like run scored hits? Just errors, watching that the games, thing? they they just played better. Yeah, you know. But this is still one of the most entertaining series. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, game like we'll start at uh, we'll start at game one though. That makes sense. Let's yeah. start there. I mean, I think I thought we'd start at game five. <laughs> oh, I mean, you, we can start game five if you want. <laughs> no, 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 I like your idea. Let's go, let's go game All one. All right, let's we'll, see, we'll uh, stick with game one. Let's see where it takes us. 
Well, game one, uh, we're out here in uh, Bank One Ballpark in Arizona. Yep. Um, the NL wins the um, All-Star game this year, and so NL gets to be the home team in the playoffs. No one really thinks it's that big of a deal until you actually get to this World Series and you realize the home team wins every single game. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, that uh, that way of deciding who gets uh, world you know home home field advantage for the World Series seems real stupid. Um, you, you don't know, like that? I love it. Oh, you love it? I okay. love it. But okay. if you're playing, personally, I didn't like it. But I I just think that's. Uh, when it comes to the World Series, like you said, that that home advantage is such a big, yeah, big factor. I don't think, I mean, for the teams that are playing in it, for it to be something that technically wasn't in their control, mm-hmm. it's kind of strange. To frustrating. Me. I, yeah. If, if as a player, I find it incredibly frustrating. As a fan, it makes me love the MLB All Star Game. That's kind of like, it, the... yeah, it's kind of a you know a, a double edged sword, right? Yeah. You know, there, there's the one side is it puts a bit of value into that All Star Game mm-hmm. to you know, go out and, you know, compete to some extent. Yeah. Whereas, but on the other, on the, uh, you know, the other side of the coin, it's, uh, it's such a big decision. Yeah. It really is. And yeah. I mean, this World Series was, you know, a prime example of that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're looking at the standings, who had the better record, and, and it's the, you know, the Yankees had the better record, I believe, right? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, hold on, let me double check. I'm saying you better double check oh this before God. we, uh, I don't want to be an idiot. I'm, well, I mean, I'm an idiot most days, but I think the Diamondbacks won 92 games. Yeah, the year. Yankees were 95 and 65. The Yankees are 92 and 70. So it was close. Like the win-loss ratio is actually pretty close. Yeah, between but the, the two. Yankees still have the better record. Yeah. Right. So it, you know, again, if I was a Yankees player, I'd, I, you know, I could understand, or I guess I could rephrase that as a Yankees fan. You know, there's there definitely be some frustration. Oh, as a player, I'd be pissed. Yeah. Right. You know, I worked. My, what? My why ass don't off. Why don't we get to play four games at home? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, looking at Game One, starters for Game One: Kurt Schilling and Mike Mussina. Um, great pitching matchup. Great pitching matchup. I mean, Mike Mussina is probably the number three guy in New York right now, but he, he is not a uh, scrub no, by any no stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Schilling, um, at this point in 2001, one of the most dominant pitchers in the game. Uh, we know we're going to see uh, a pitching matchup here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, Arizona wins the game 9-1. Uh, to one. Schilling gets the W, while Messina gets the uh, L. Um, that th- uh, Those third and fourth innings by uh, Arizona, uh, that's pretty much where the game was won by them. Yeah, a couple four-run innings. Um with uh, some big hitting from, oh, geez, uh, I just had this. Luis Gonzalez, Gonzo had a good game. Um, Mark Grace had a decent game. Randy Choate, Reggie Sanders. Yeah, Craig Council hit a dinger. Of course he did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark Grace contributing as well. Mark Grace, of course, yeah. 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 He's having himself a game. Yeah, so the Diamondbacks go up uh, 1-0 in the series. Uh, Randy Jan. Sorry, Randy Johnson, the big unit, getting the uh, start for Arizona against uh, New York's Andy Pettit. And for the most – it was a pitcher's duel probably up until about the seventh inning where uh, Arizona scored three runs and uh, eventually uh, shut out the Yanks uh, four to nothing. Uh, Not a bad bad game from uh, old big unit as he uh, struck out 11 Yankees that night. God, that guy just had the greatest endurance. 
Yeah. Like, I don't understand how he did it. He's six foot ten. All he ever does is chew and drink beer and yell at people. So I don't understand. <laughs> it's basically what we do. Yeah, but I. Yeah. Yeah, but he's an athlete. Yeah, he gets paid a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> and was elite. <laughs> I don't have the look of an athlete, and I also don't have the athleticism of an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes sense. No, that 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 makes sense. Right. Randy Johnson's just a freak, man. I he's just one of those guys that you know if he had been born. 300 years earlier would have been chasing antelope down by hand i don't know if you know, i like <laughs> i don't know if i fear his arm as much as i fear his face because yeah. he looks like my pissed off next door neighbor to yeah, be honest he definitely with you. he had a leather face early yeah. yeah yeah that's all the chew yeah yeah <laughs> has to be is that where all the heat comes from off the ball well i mean he probably had a little bit on his finger yeah maybe maybe yeah, a little, little bit a little bit of stick <laughs> yeah, i mean they all had a little bit of something on there yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, who contributed in this game? Uh, have Reggie Sanders again, leadoff single, uh, scored Danny Batista. Um, uh, in the seventh, uh, Pettit ran into a little bit of trouble. He hit, uh, Lonzo with a pitch. Yeah, Matt Williams hit a dinger on him in the seventh as well. That's right, yeah. And, uh, they eventually just cruised. Uh, not a lot of, eight hits in the game by both teams. Um... But again, uh, Randy Johnson's stealing the show here, uh, giving Andy Pettit the L. I mean, it tells you just how good uh, Randy Johnson was on this day that there was only one double play thrown um, uh, by the Arizona Diamondbacks. Really? One double There's play? Just one. Just one. Matt Williams, Craig Council, Mark Grace. That was it. Wow. So, you know, uh, same can be said on the other side of the ball. Only one double play thrown. Brocious, Soriano, uh, Randy Vel- uh, Velarde. Um, the pitchers were just on. Yeah, and you knew going in it was going to be a pitcher's duel. But now we get into the juicy stuff. Oh, buddy, game three was the opening in New York by uh, President George W. Bush. Um, You know, we we talked briefly about the story of Derek Jeter giving him the uh, pep talk before the game. You know, you better throw off the mound and (laughs) you better throw a strike. This is New York, Mr. President. Yeah, (laughs) They will boo you out of here. They do not care that you are the President of the United States. Yeah. so, yeah, he was supposed to throw the first pitch to backup catcher Todd Green. Uh, Bush became the first incumbent U.S. president to throw a World Series pitch since Jimmy Carter. Um, he also threw the pitcher from the, uh, from the mound, as we said, uh, which is un- uncommon among ceremonial first pitches. But uh, the second it hit for a strike, all you heard from that stadium was, uh, oh, I hate this, but USA, USA. <laughs> um, Yankee starter Roger Clemens allowed only three hits and struck out nine in seven innings of work. Uh, before Mariano Rivero came on to pitch two innings for the save. Again, at that time, closers were not doing one inning. You don't need a setup, man, because Mariano Rivero is getting you six outs. Um, and, of course, he was dominant. Yeah. Right? Um, Jorge Posada had himself a game of a lifetime, though. Yeah. Uh, first inning was real exciting. Roger Clemens throws out a guy at first base on a, um, a pitch-off. Or, sorry, a pitch-out. No. Pit- he was standing on the mound, and he threw it to first base, and he got the guy in a cutoff. Yes. Like a pickoff. Pickoff. Pickoff, oh, yeah. damn it. There's, there's the term. It's My been a little God. while since we've had baseball. My brain's what, just three months? Four months? Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and then to cap the inning, um, Clemens fires a heater, and Posada throws out uh, another base, a would-be base runner at two, before uh, stepping up in the second inning and hitting an absolute drive for a home run. Um. The Diamondbacks loaded the bases in the fourth on two walks and one hit before uh, Matt Williams sacrificed tied the game. 
Bernie Williams, though, hit a leadoff single in the sixth, moved to second on a wild pitch before Posada walked. After that, Mike Morgan relieved uh, Brian Anderson, but unfortunately, Mr. Anderson, you left the runners on the base. Mm-hmm. Mike Morgan struck out David Justice, and then Scott Brocious breaks the tie with an RBI single. Yeah, uh, again, another pitcher's duel here. Uh, it had a little bit of everything. Pitcher's duel, a little bit of scoring here and there. It was a great game to watch, to be honest with you. Yep. It was just, and you know what? This was kind of like the calm before the storm, which would kind of set us up for the future games. So for like, absolutely, you know, game three was uh, an absolute nail biter, and one of the things that makes this series so entertaining to watch was, uh, you know, a pitcher's duel, tight defensive game, low scoring, lots of defense on both sides of the ball, just, just great baseball. Yes. Right. Um, heading into game four, uh, saw the Yankees send Orlando Hernandez to the mound. Uh, you will not be at fault for not knowing that name, Redley. Yeah, I, I don't know that one offhand. <laughs> I, I remember the name. I just always think of like uh, Orlando. Uh, who's the guy that played for the Blue Jays? Orlando Hudson, the O Dog, yeah. baby. Yeah, that's who I think of when I think Orlando. But the Diamondbacks decided to send Kurt Schilling on three days rest. Uh, both pitchers gave up home runs, with Schilling doing so to Shane Spencer in the third inning, and Hernandez doing so to Mark Grace in the fourth. And I, let me tell you, that Mark Grace home run is a bomb all right that is an absolute dong shot he sent that thing into the upper deck with no doubt and a beautiful sound coming off the bat as oh, well that crack is something. big boy with big power the old man still got it so hernandez pitched six and uh, a third solid innings giving up four hits while Schilling went seven innings and gave up three with the game still tied in the eighth arizona struck after mike stanton recorded the first out of the inning luis gonzalez singled and his drubal deruzo hit a double to bring him in matt williams followed by grounding into a fielder's choice off ramiro mendoza which scored pinch runner Midre Cummings and gave the team a 3-1 lead. Mm-hmm. With the team on the verge of a, <laughs> taking a commanding 3-1 series lead, Diamondbacks manager Bob Brenly decided to put in Byung Young Kim. Now, this is one of the ones that, uh, if anyone knows Kurt Schilling, he's a little bit emotional. And, uh, he can be. He, he can be, and he really let Bob Brenly know that this, this was, in his opinion, the wrong choice. Like his, uh, like his body language wasn't like over the top, so to speak, like especially when the manager went out there to take him out. No, it was once he got back to the dugout. Once he got in the dugout, you could tell he was a little bit frustrated, though. Like he he was had both arms folded, and he had that sad look on his face. And... He was not a happy camper, that's for sure. But are you taking Schilling out at that point, or what are you doing? Are you leaving him in? If it's me. If it's you. If it's me, I'm leaving Schilling in. I, I'm thinking if I can win this game, I've got the lead. I've got Schilling. He's one of the dominant pitchers in baseball. Sure, he might be a little tired. Sure, he's given up three hits, but he's Kurt Schilling. You know, he's going he's gonna to do something here that's going to have an impact. Whereas I've got a 22-year-old closer who's a sidearm pitcher from Korea who I'm really hoping people just haven't watched enough film on yet. Right. You know? So you're going for the unpredictability instead of the predictable. No, I'm, in, go- in I'm, going, I'm going with the predictable. I'm going with Kurt Schilling. I'm going no, with- no, no, no. From uh, – from, uh, from Kim's perspective. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. as far as, like, styles. You want to go with the unpredictability in that situation, I guess. I think that's what Brenly's going for. That's what he was going for, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, he did okay, but he ran into a little bit of trouble in the ninth, right? So, he, he gets out of the eighth, but he runs into trouble in the ninth. Derek Jeter leads off by uh, trying to bunt, but was thrown up by Williams. Paul O'Neill then lined a single in front of Gonzalez. Um, Bernie Williams strikes out, so we got two away. Uh, Kim seemed to be doing okay, but he's got to get through Tino Martinez. 
That's, that's a, a problem. That's a veteran guy that knows what he's doing, right? Yeah. Um, Martinez drove the first pitch he saw for Kim uh, into the right center field bleachers, tying the score at 3-3. Two-run shot. Kim blows the save. Schilling has a little bit of a meltdown. The, one of the great things about the early 2000 cameras is they don't have the, the, <laughs> the anti-shake stability. stuff in them. Yeah. Yeah. So you, the camera, it looks like there's a fucking earthquake going on at the yeah. time because the camera's just fucking vibrating just going at her one of the things that really makes you love watching sports is, is that drama the high drama we're in the ninth inning two outs oh here goes a home run ties it up for the home team i don't care that it's the yankees that is exciting i got goosebumps you know um <laughs> the yankees were not done though as jorge Posada walked and david justice moved him into scoring possession with a single uh then kim of course uh struck out spencer to end the threat but we're getting extra innings um you know, and uh, the one thing about this game is it uh, um, started on October the 31st, and we are now cruising into midnight area. All right? We're not there yet, but we're cruising. Um, the time is coming. The time is coming, yes. Uh, so as the scoreboard clock in Yankee Stadium past midnight, World Series play in November begins. Uh, the message on <laughs> the message on the scoreboard in beautiful old time um, jumbotron letters. You know yeah. the the yellow like that orange light bulbs. Uh, amber color. Oh yeah. yeah, that awful awful thing. Welcome to yeah. November baseball. I love yeah, it. That's though. a nice treat. You know. Yeah. Yeah. First time ever. Exactly. Yeah. So this is how badly though Joe Torre's thinking that he needs to win this game and we win this game soon as he sends Mariano Rivera out to the hill. Um, in the tenth, and he retires the Diamondbacks in order one two three. Kim goes out for a third inning of work. All right. Uh, Scott Brochess and Alfonso Soriano go down. One, two. Looks like a genius play so far. But, if it, again, if it's me, I'm, I'm not Bob Brenly. Bob Brenly's won a World Series. I have not. He's right. I'm wrong. But uh, what are you – I'm – three innings with this kid? Well, I've, I can only tell from experience because I've only won a World Series in the video game console <laughs> world. It, it's a tough call because, like, look at Game 6 just this past year. They took out Braden Snell yeah. through five and change. Yeah, they should have left Snell in there. Yeah, so this is kind of like where you run into that same territory when you're talking about shilling, right? It's either, you know, save him for another game or pitch until his arm falls off. Well, at this point with Kim, you got to close her. This guy's hawking as hard as he can every time he's up there. Yeah. You gotta have somebody else in the the bullpen. You have to have somebody else that you can go to. But anyways, uh, well, just with the the quality, you're at the top of the Yankees order, right? You get Scott Brocious, Alfonso Soriano, and Derek Jeter. One, two, three. This is your inning. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, You've come this far. Here's your reward. So then, Derek Jeter, clock struck midnight, just before this at bat. <laughs> and now we get Mr. November. He's here because he takes a three-two ball out. Yard, walk-off, Yankee Stadium, first November game, hit and walk-off. Welcome to the Pantheon. Here he is, Mr. Derek Jeter. Now it's a best of now it's a best of three. Here we are. Yeah, here we go. We're tied up 2-2. We're heading into game five, which um, outside of game seven, to me, is the, the best game of this series. Uh, yeah, I would probably agree with that, actually. Um, so uh, the – Pitching matchup was um, back to Mike Messina again. Yeah, you get Mike Messina on the mound, and uh, looking over at uh, the Diamondbacks, you got Miguel Batista on the ground on the mound. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's their four guy. Uh, they're putting him out there to um, get them back to Arizona. Um, to me, Bob Brenly uh, puts this roster together to win. You don't get to the World Series and not put a roster out there to win. 
but in the back of your mind, you know you're going to go back to Arizona, mm-hmm. right? And you know you're going to have to have your guys, your big guns ready. So you're going to rest Schilling, you're going to rest Johnson, and you're going to get them back out in Arizona. And you're bringing in Batista, who hasn't pitched in 12 days either. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. yeah it, you know what? It's a smart move by Joe, Joe Torrey, to be honest with you. You might as well um, – you might as well take a chance. Or, uh, sorry. Uh, Bob Brentley. Bob Brentley, yeah. yeah. My apologies. Yeah. Uh, Bob Brentley, not Joe Torrey. Yeah, I mean, Joe Torrey's got an embarrassment of riches over there. He gets to trot out Musina, Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit. That's, you know, that's what he gets to do. So, game five saw the Yankees return to Mike Musina. Um, Miguel Batista did not pitch in 12 days, as he mentioned. Uh, pitched a strong seven and two-thirds scoreless inning, striking out six. So, I, he went out there and he played well. He showed up to the moment. Um Musina bounced back from his poor game one start, recording 10 strikeouts, but allowed solo home rounds in the fifth inning to Steve in, uh, Finley and Rod, great last name, Barajas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With the Diamondbacks leading 2 nothing in the ninth, Byung Hyun Kim was called upon again, uh, despite having thrown three innings the night before. Again, Bob Brenly, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that, you're just asking for trouble at that point. Exactly. So Posada doubled to open the inning. Uh, Kim gets Shane Spencer to the ground out, uh, then strikes out Chuck Knobloch. Um, but as had happened the previous night, uh, Scott Brocious hit a one no pitch over the field. Or he, Kim gives it up, as he did the previous night, by uh, Scott Brocious hitting a one no pitch over the left field wall. Um, Kim's gets pulled in favor of Mike Morgan, who uh, ends up recording the final out of the inning. Morgan retires the Yankees in order in the 10th and 11th innings, while the Diamondbacks get to Mariano Rivera in the 11th. Danny Batista as Erubio DeRuzo. I really got to figure out that guy's name, but we're trying. It sounds close. <laughs> Opened the inning with hits, and Matt Williams advanced them into scoring positions with a sacrifice bunt. Rivera then intentionally walks Steve Finley to load the bases, then gets Reggie Sanders to line out and Mark Grace to end the inning. So, you know, Rivera goes out there, does his job. Oh, he's back off the mound. Rivera does what Rivera does. Yeah, 12th. Uh, in his first at bat, he gave up a single to Chuck Knobloch, who had entered the game as a pinch runner. Brocious moves him over with a bunt. Then Alfonso Soriano ends the game with an RBI single to give the Yankees a 3-2 victory. Another walk-off in Yankee Stadium. This stadium is pounding. This city is rabid. You know, they're planning the ticker tape parade. This is Yankee baseball. Yep. We're up 3-2. We only need one. We're on the way. Here we go. Well, and you can tell, like, the Yankees are in prime World Series form, too. They hadn't really faced much challenge, uh, oh, like, with the – Padres in 98, the Braves in 99, the Mets in 2000. They kind of breezed through those teams. But Arizona, you know what? They're they're fighting in this series. So you got to give them a lot of credit despite, you know, throwing their closer out there two nights in a row. Uh, yeah, on uh, the three innings the night before. Yeah, that, and, and you're that not, takes a toll. You uh, know, you got you to gotta have somebody else you can go to. Absolutely. Um. So we're moving on to game six, I believe. Yeah, or? game six is a fun game. Um. <laughs> well, if you're um, if you're not on the uh, or it's a fun game if you're on the Diamondback side. So after three games in uh, New York City, we uh, shift the last two games back to the desert, and we'll start off with game six, where <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, not much of a game here. Andy Pedden didn't necessarily have the best game of his life. <laughs> no, and this I've seen better. I have seen better games from people. Yeah, Randy Johnson, him though. Randy, <laughs> yeah, him included by a lot. Randy Johnson had himself a game, but I, I, I'll, you know, let me uh, let me let you take this away. All right, well, uh, long story short, um, Arizona's going to win the game 15-2 to with uh, Arizona racking up 22 hits while the Yankees could only muster seven, and the Yanks had one air in the game as well. 
the Diamondbacks had a, a third inning to remember where uh, Randy Johnson, believe it or not, scores twice. Yeah, that's right. He gets two runs in the same inning. Yeah. Right? Did he have two runs all year? I have no <laughs> idea. Like, I, I can't have... imagine he had a drastic amount of runs throughout the whole season. I don't know, but watching that guy run the bases is just one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Well, the guy's, what, 6'10"? He just is 6'10", fucking yeah. Antelope. He, he's a giraffe out there. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually probably a better animal <laughs> reference. <laughs> Antelopes are a little more graceful than that. <laughs> I thought he'd be like uh, Paul Coffey on the uh, base pass. You know how Paul Coffey would be... Just so smooth. Yeah, just two strides. <laughs> and Effortless. He's, two strides and he's past the blue line, I figure with Randy's like length in his legs, he'd be from third to home in like five straight strides. line. He's no, probably good. He's so tall. It looks like, you know, he just doesn't look like he's natural running. Right. So like his back straight, his upper body's like completely motionless. And these legs are just like, <laughs> yeah, look, if you haven't seen the video, you should find um, the highlights from game six of this series just to watch Randy Johnson run the base because it's pretty great. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody on Arizona with the bats uh, just contributing here. And of Randy Johnson, he's contributing as well. But that's not the real reason we're all here. Oh, no, we are here for Sports Illustrated best game of uh, or most memorable game of uh, postseason play for the decade for 2000 to 2010. We are here for Game 7 at uh, Bank One Ballpark in Phoenix, Arizona between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the New York Yankees. This game is just one for the ages. Um, so it was a matchup of two 20-game winners. Uh, Roger Clemens, at 39 years old, became the oldest Game 7 starter ever. Kurt Schilling had, uh, had already started two games of the series and pitched his 300th inning of the season on just three days rest. We're trotting him back out there. Bob Brenly went, we're going for the World Series. <laughs> I mean, you have to, and I couldn't trust a better guy to uh, get you that Game 7 win. Absolutely. Well, and coming into this game, one stat that kind of was a real interesting one, uh, you know, Kurt Schilling in the, this playoffs pitched three complete games. Yeah. Insane. That, he was the first pitcher to do that since 1903. Just, just wild. They don't make them like that anymore. No, no that'll they, never happen again. <laughs> I mean, in today's analytics age, that's that'll never happen again. Not yeah, a chance. Absolutely. So the two aces matched each other inning by inning, and after seven full innings, the series the game was tied at 1-1. Uh, the Diamondbacks scored first in the sixth inning with uh, Steve Finley single and a Danny Batista double. Uh, Batista would be called out at third base. Well, I mean, even if we want to slow this down a little bit, like, I mean, there, there was a lot going on, even in those first couple innings. Like, there, there was a lot of feeling out process in this game. You know, you could tell the tension was high. I mean, it's Game 7 of the World Series, right? Nobody and wants to make a mistake. No, God, no. And, I mean, top of the first, Paul O'Neill's last game ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he uh, hit a very honest double and uh, tried to stretch it into a uh, yeah. into a three-bagger and gets tossed out at third. <laughs> and by a lot. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, he wasn't even minutely close. No. Um, the old man doesn't have the speed anymore. I mean, no, but you got to credit him for trying. Oh, um, yeah, you got to lay it all on the line. It's game seven. Yeah, I mean, Cle- Clemens didn't have an easy first inning either. He had 21 pitches in the first inning. Yeah. And, I mean, he uh, um, the first base runner for Arizona actually came off an error, which – originally was uh, credited to Tino Martinez, but uh, eventually actually was uh, um, Clement's fault. And uh, I got a couple notes here from the uh, second inning. Steve Finley out in center field making some fantastic 
catches. Uh, I mean, he made one catch running over the shoulder, yeah. arguably highlight reel catch to uh, to close out the inning. To, to steal a term from hockey, Steve Finley was a grinder. Yeah, yeah right for sure. He was a guy that just he did all the um, the essentials, did the basics uh, extremely well, and he did them for you every night. And it was it was nice to see him kind of have that that inning. He know? was he was kind of like a uh, Jim Evans type, you know. Yep. Just kind of lays out for everything, goes and gets every ball, has the speed, can hit. He, he he's I, I would compare him like with Jim Evans. I would say these early innings, they were you could tell they were really trying to feel each other out, and you know I mean on top of that you had some fantastic pitching on the mounds for both sides, so that you know factors into not a lot going on. I mean, uh, even through six innings, the Yankees didn't have any base runners. Yep, which is pretty wild. That's yeah. Well, Kurt Schilling was spinning a good one, right? He's spinning a classic and. But the Yankees did respond in the sixth inning uh, with an RBI single from Tino Martinez, who drove in Derek Jeter. Brenly stayed with Schilling in the eighth, though. And I think Bob Brenly had learned his lesson by now. <laughs> <laughs> he was faced with a lot of, you know, hard decisions in the series, to be honest with you. Just kept guys in when he shouldn't have and, you know, pulled guys out when he shouldn't have. But, uh, you know, you just got to roll with the punches and just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Well, once again, he was wrong, though. So the, yeah, well. <laughs> so the move backfired as Alfonso Soriano hits a home run on an 0-2 pitch. Schilling then strikes out Scott Brocious and gives up a single to David Justice, and he leaves the game trailing 2-1. Yeah, he uh, he pitched what seven and one third, uh, got pulled after uh, 103 pitches, and which is honestly by today's standards pretty normal. But uh, Schilling looked pretty upset with himself this time, not so much with uh, his manager this time. He, uh, he, You could tell he wanted to be out there and uh, putting on the best performance he could and putting his team in the best position they could to win the game. And he didn't feel like, uh, you could tell at the time, he uh, was pretty down on himself. So the longer that uh, you guys continue to listen to us, you're going to hear me gush about field mics and game mics. I love them. I think they're one of the greatest things um, that sports entertainment has brought to us. Um, and, and that included picking up that moment on the mound um, between uh, Bob Brenly and uh, Kurt Schilling where uh, Brenly uh, tells him, you know, I love you, brother. You're my hero. And assuring them that ain't going to beat us. Um, we're going to get that back and then some. Um, so he brings back in. Game five started Miguel Batista to get Jeter out. And he, uh, that was the only battery faced, too. was the only one, yeah. Yep. Hey, came in, did his job. Uh, and then in a very unconventional move, he brings in the previous night's starter and winner, Randy Johnson. Yeah, the guy who pitched 101 pitches just the night before. 100, yeah, he he, uh, he was coming in for relief in a one-run game. Um, and who knows how long Randy Johnson was going to have to pitch up there, but I can assure you that Randy Johnson was ready to throw nine. <laughs> oh, yeah, he would have done it if he had to. And, I mean, uh, from there, the uh, the Yankees brought, you know, countered that, and they brought in Rivera. You know, they brought in, out their big gun, too, to, uh, in the bottom of eight. Um, he's got a .7 postseason ERA, which is yeah. just absurd. He, he strikes out the side in the eighth. Um, Luis Gonzalez, Matt Williams, and Miguel Batista there uh, to bring to lower his uh, career postseason ERA to the .70 there. Yeah. Um, heading into the ninth um, where just drama. So top of the ninth, Johnson goes out, three up, three down, does exactly what he needs to do. And then Mark Grace leads off the inning for with a single uh, on a 1-0 pitch off uh, Rivera. They instantly uh, put in a pinch runner there, uh, David DeLucci. 
Great. Am I saying that right? Great name. David yeah. Bonaducci, I believe. No, it's David DeLucci. Dude. <laughs> Wait, who's, who's the Bonaducci guy? Is it, was he like an actor or something like that? Do you guys know who I'm talking about? I'm, no. I'm thinking DeNucci, the Cowboys. Oh, Ben DeNucci. Ben DeNucci, <laughs> the savior of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I, I thought that for exactly 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I thought he was going to turn it around, and then he didn't. But, uh, I mean, honestly, this is really one of the best half innings I've watched in baseball Oh, ever? Yeah. Just in the moment, the uh, the pressure, the uh, the atmosphere, everything. You could kind of tell it was bottom of the ninth. It was all or nothing. And yeah, Mark Grace comes up in singles. They put in the pinch runner, and uh, then from there, chaos. Absolute chaos. Chaos happens. You know, a bunt, and very uncharacteristically, uh, Rivero with a throwing error to second. Yeah. Um, over. Was it overthrow or he just put it in the dirt? I'm trying to remember. Uh, he threw it over and to the right of Derek Cheater. Yeah, like just straight up missed him. Yeah. And uh, that puts uh, runners on first and second with no outs. The the slide also um, it dings Derek Cheater. It's not an intentional slide to hurt him. It's two guys coming together on a well, bang-bang play. I would say, and when it comes to the, the times, that was pretty normal. Honestly, in today's game, that's uh, absolutely uh, no. I, I think I think because was, of, I think because of the errant throw, it probably would have just been uh, wrapped up to coincidental contact. Yeah, because he was leaning into it, trying to get to the ball that was a little it, bit more towards right exactly. field than it should have been. Exactly. Yeah, and they they tried the bunt play again. Unfortunately, this time the uh, the runner was out at third. Uh, that would have been uh, Dave DeLucci. They bring in a, a pinch hitter actually, because Randy Johnson's coming up in the order. So they throw in. Um, Jay Bell uh, for Randy Johnson, who throws out the bunt, and then Rivero throws out the DeLucci at third. There was another note watching the game live. Uh, Joe Buck was actually calling the game back in 01 there, and uh, um, they actually kind of showed it a handful of times over. They questioned why Brocious didn't take a shot at first to get the se- to get the second out of the inning. Yeah. yeah. Which, honestly, as we know now, could have been a huge factor. And when you watch it, he, he had a shot at it. Absolutely. Yeah, so. and, and he had the arm. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what caused Scott Brocious to not make that throw, but it was probably the most non-New York Yankee thing I've ever seen. Yeah, uncharacteristic. You know, like th- that, that's a team full of confident players that they make that throw because of the Yankees, right? And it was just, it was shocking. I think they felt like they kind of had it like wrapped up at that point, like if they could just muster a couple things here and there. I'm sure that was more more so the mindset at the time. Uh, yeah. We got Rivera on the mound. We got we like, got runners first and second, but we only got... I don't need to force this throw. Don't do something silly and throw it away again because they already had an error in the inning. Well, I think that mentality too, like they had, they're just thinking, okay, the stars are aligned here. Everything's falling into place. Yeah. But again, this, um, this Arizona team is just ferocious and nasty. So, and so Bob Bradley makes some real smart moves here, though. Yes. Right. Uh, so he throws Midri Cummings in for Damian Miller as a pinch hitter. Or sorry, a pinch runner. Uh, he ends up on second base safely. Bell's at first. Tony Womack hits a double down the right field line on a 2-2 pitch. That ties the game. <clears throat> and Rivera blows a save. Unbelievable. Yep. His, un- his first, unheard of. His first postseason blown save ever yep. is in Game 7 of the 2001 World Series. Could you could you have written that? No. I would never have. You, you I wouldn't have guessed it mm-hmm. to ever happen. No. Nope. And, I mean, just for the fact that it was in Arizona again, the home team, you know, with this, all, all of a sudden the crowd is just revitalized. They are bonkers. Absolutely. They are That's ex- bonkers. exactly the wording I have on my note. Crowd is going 
<laughs> it's exactly the wording I have here, so I love that. And you can tell because there's a whole bunch of white towels going on in the crowd, man. It looked like Listen, um, you it are was in, crazy. You are in Phoenix, Arizona, okay? These guys have the Suns. Now they've got the Coyotes. <laughs> and yeah. I guess you got the Arizona Cardinals. It, yeah, it, The uh, Jake Plummer-led Arizona <laughs> Cardinals at the time. So you're not winning a whole lot of championships no. down in Arizona. You don't know how to act when you're there. You don't know how to be when you're so excited. And you, when you're looking at the fans while they're there, bonkers is the exact description because they don't know what to do with their hands. <laughs> like, you, you it's just, the old Ricky Bobby. Yeah, yeah. But they're just they're waving him everywhere. They're screaming. They're going nuts. It's, they're hugging their buddies. They're, and, and, yeah. It's great sights. Like, yeah, just fun to see. And even watching the game as just watching objectively, you kind of get – Yet the chills come over you. Yeah. You're like, oh man, that's. You, you feel the moment. You really do, and it's uh, just one of the most powerful moments you can feel in sports. You get that drama. You get the tension. You know that the very next thing. You you have that high anxiety because you don't know whether the next pitch is going to be um, a strike, a ball, a home run, a broken bat single that leads to the uh, World Series title. Who knows, right? Who knows? You know. Well, and let me tell you what it was. I mean, your boy, Craig Council. <laughs> My boy, yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you, he didn't do much. He just stood there and got hit by the pitch. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but he... that blow to the bases with only one out. Did it get him on the wrist? I can't quite remember where. I th- it I, I think Honestly, it, it, it looks like it gets him up on like the hand wrist, and, and then he kind of like is he squints his face a little bit, and like he does like one of those shakes kind of thing yeah, with his wrist yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm not certain that he didn't do it on purpose. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're doing it on purpose at that, well, at, you see at the, that point you, of the game, you I see mean, the ball coming in tight like that. You're, uh, I might take this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not dodging this. I, uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, you got every right to hold your ground as yeah. long as you're not leading in. Yeah, exactly. Which exactly. I I wouldn't say he did. So you got Jay Bell on third. You've got Midri Cummings at second. Uh, Craig Council's at um, uh, one, and uh, you've got your best hitter at the plate, Luis Gonzalez. Here he is. Is he going to be the hero? Well, yes. <laughs> we do know. Yes, we know. He, <laughs> he's going to loft a nice soft floater over top of uh, second base. And the stadium is going to go absolutely nuts as Jay Bell trots over, uh, touches home base, and everyone sprints. I'm saying I just love the uh, the iconic uh, footage of Luis Gonzalez going down the first baseline, literally just fist pumping, jumping, like, yeah. jumping both arms straight up in the air. Yeah, it's it's just a beautiful moment. I didn't know Luis could jump that high. No, <laughs> this is this is the crazy part. So the the Yankees were expecting either. Um, they, they were at double play depth, right? So they're inside. They're trying to get this double play done. So the, the loft, it literally barely hits the outfield grass. The second baseman just can't get there. It's a beautiful shot. Yeah, honestly. I mean, if they're playing normal depth, that's that's double play all day. It's, yeah, well, it's, a, it's you, you at very least catch it. You're going to get the one. and At very least that, yeah, yeah. If the base runners are smart, they're still on the base, but... You know what that uh, shot looked like? It looked like something Tiger would have hit out of the bunker at Augusta. Yep. It was just super, super smooth. Yeah, just was right it a hard hit? It was just the no. hit. I'll just put bat to ball. That's all he needed to do, and it's exactly what he did, and that's, you know, that's That's the perfect spot that you have to hit it, too. That's not being selfish and trying to hit a grand slam. Absolutely, yeah. Basic baseball. Yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, so that obviously ends New York's bid for the fourth consecutive title. It brings Arizona its first championship in its fourth year of existence. Amazing. 
the Diamondbacks are the fastest expansion team to a World Series. It's also the first and remains the only professional sports championship for the state of Arizona. I that That's amazing, too. And it's Randy Johnson's third win of the series. <laughs> <laughs> Randy Johnson gets the W. Mariano Rivera gets the loss, which is just, just wild to think. Mariano Rivera, Rivera yeah. with an L beside him. You know, he uh, there, there was some great footage at the end of the game. Uh, you got Joe Torre looking all sad and dejected, which... Puts a smile on my face in all honesty. Um, but <laughs> he looks like such a troll when he's mad. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he's got just bags under his eyes. And, I know yeah. everyone was cheering for New York at that time, but we weren't. I wasn't. No I way. definitely was not. I was I was Diamondbacks through but, through. But there was, point. you know, obviously. Most of it had to do with their jerseys, though, to be honest. Oh, so good. But there was some great footage of uh, Kurt Schilling. Just the, the, the script was flipped just a few innings earlier. He was sad dejected, looking pretty upset with himself that he uh, put his team in, in the position he had at the time. And his uh, his manager comes out, gives him the pep talk, and they do exactly that. They, they come back and uh, win their first World Series. Just a couple little fun, fun strange facts here. Sure. Um, so the blown save actually proved to be life-saving for uh, Yankees player Enrique Wilson. How's that? So uh, they didn't catch the next flight back home so he missed his flight to go uh to go back home on american airlines flight 587 and ended up crashing into bell harbor wow so he doesn't get on that plane because of the blown save because of them taking their time and get dealing with the loss oh my god how wild is that that's crazy crazy something i did i honestly i didn't expect to find something like that doing some research for this episode yeah no kidding so and then again in 2009 this game seven of the 2001 world series was chosen by sports illustrated as the best postseason game of the decade for 2000 to 2009 um hard to argue i i literally don't have anything that i could say is even a close comparison yeah yeah not nothing nothing anywhere not not major leagues anyways no, not a chance. The, this series was, again, uh, my hot take from earlier there. The this Arizona dominated this series. They, to me, they were going to win this series. Like watching each game, it was going to break one way or the other when when Clemens was on the mound. But otherwise, Schilling and Johnson were just too good. Well, that was a staple of the team. I don't, because Arizona, I think for the most part, led almost like over seventy five percent of that series too. Actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, those games in New York really uh, extended the series, made it made it seem a lot uh, tighter than it was. Um, entertaining through and through, entertaining to the core. I, I don't mean to take away from it in any way, but uh, I think this was Arizona's uh, World Series to lose. Watching it. Okay, so here's a question: If you take game, if you take the results of game four, games four and five out of the equation. Does Arizona win like four games to one, four games to two? Yeah. Probably. Well, I mean, possibly? yeah, they had the two two games that uh, could have uh, gone either way. Yeah, very well could have gone either way, and uh, you know they went the Yankees' way. But yeah, no, this definitely could have been it, uh, a five you, or six game series. If at you most. ride Schilling in Game Four, does that, does that get you a win? Maybe. It, it probably does, and you're also holding the. Uh, the World Series trophy in the Bronx too. Oh yeah, which was unheard of at the time. <laughs> which I, you know, which nobody does. Way more fun to win at home, especially saying, the way that yeah, they that's did. Yeah, that's why I'm that's um, what I'm kind of getting at. I was actually kind of glad that um, games four and five went the way that they did, so that Arizona actually ended up winning at home. Yeah, well, I was actually kind of happy for that. I'm saying there's no better way to win in a walk off in Game Seven mm. at home 
to win your first ever championship. Like, there's literally no better way to win. And you never buy a drink in the entire state ever again. Congratulations. <laughs> no. You brought Arizona its only professional championship. Yep. And who's our uh, World Series MVP? Uh, that was a split between uh, Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Co- Co-MVPs. Yeah, they were co-MVPs. Yeah, that's right. Was that the first time that there was co-MVPs, or is that uh, – am I – Pulling questions we don't quite have answers for. I, you know point. what? I don't have an answer for that, but if you come back to me here in a little bit, I will let you know. All right. You know, we can kind of move along to our housekeeping, if you will. So our rookies of the year, we had, uh, obviously, in the AL, you had uh, our sensation there from Korea. Uh, Japan. Japan. Sorry. <laughs> I feel real racist now. Uh, so we had Ichiro in the AL and uh, Mr. Toilet Bowl name himself, Albert Pujols. <laughs> In the NL, uh, your Cy your Cy Young Award winners. It should be no shock. That Roger, Roger, and Randy Johnson. Listen, Roger Clemens did steroids, and he got to win a Cy Young at 39, and that's okay with me. Hey, man. I mean, <laughs> do what you do. But he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. No, that's right. He cheated. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so he can have all the Cy Youngs that he wants, but he can't get into the Hall of Fame. He can win as many games as he wants. He can have as many awards as he wants, but he doesn't get to go in the Hall of Fame. Exactly. He gets to have all the money. All the clout, everything like that, he just doesn't get to go in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Uh, <laughs> tough crowd. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't hate it. Yeah. <laughs> Manager of the year in the NL was Larry Bawa in Philly. I don't know why he won it, but oh, okay. I, I, I can tell you that Lou Pinella in Seattle definitely earned that one. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> they were playing at the uh, Citizens Ballpark in Philadelphia. It wasn't even up yet. They were still playing at uh, Veterans Stadium. Oh, jeez. You know, that ashtray-looking building just <laughs> full of concrete and astroturf. Oh, what, a, what a horrible ACL-tearing place. A beaut- the perfect stadium for the perfect fan base, I, I will say. <laughs> Everybody out here hucking batteries at Santa. And puking on kids. <laughs> um, the N- N- MVP for uh, the AL, of course, was Ichiro Suzuki. Um, and for the NL, Barry Bonds. 73 jacks. Yes. Yeah, you get to win the MVP when you hit 73 jacks. Absolutely. Hard argue. <laughs> That's for sure. But we're also biased because me and Tiger Giants fans. And uh, I say give it, give the award to him every year. Do if he's going to keep doing that. Uh, so gold gloves uh, for the pitchers. Uh, for the you know what I'm just gonna do the NL. Okay. Yeah. Uh, pitcher, catcher, first base, second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield. I'll do the NL first, and then I'll do the AL. Okay, sounds cool good. Beans. Uh, for the NL, we got Greg Maddox, of course. Atlanta. Um, yeah, Atlanta. Brad Osmus down in Houston. Todd Helton in Colorado over at first base. Oh, I love Todd Helton. Uh, everybody loves Todd Helton, man. Yeah. Uh, I I'd rock a Todd Helton jersey. Other other than Larry Walker, he's the only other Rocky I could name at the time. Francis. Oh yeah, well Steve yeah, Francis. Canadian boy. Yeah. Uh, second base, Fernando Vina down in St. Louis. Uh, third base, Scott Rowland in Philly. Scott Rowland was a hell of a player. Yeah, always hustled. Even when he hit a home run, he would always like sprint around the base pass every time. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, Good effort yeah. at all times. <laughs> Shortstop was Orlando Cabrera down in Montreal. Ooh, nice. Down in Montreal. Yeah, yeah, down in Montreal. <laughs> uh, outfield, Jim Edmonds in St. Louis, Andrew Jones out of Atlanta, and as you mentioned, Larry Walker out of Colorado. There you go. Looking at the AL, we've got Mike Mussina uh, for the pitcher. Hall of Famer. Pudge Rodriguez at bat catcher. Now, was it you that said they didn't like uh, Pudge Rodriguez? Or was no, I that talk- wasn't me. That you must have been me. having a conversation with somebody else. Oh, yeah. Okay. I love Pudge. Yeah, I do too, actually. Love Pudge. And, uh, you know, it was pretty cool for a few years there. We had his uh, 
his son there pitching in San Francisco. That's right, yeah. He's yeah. no longer there, unfortunately. D-Rod. D-Rod, really liked the guy. Yeah. Where is he now? I'm, to be honest, I'm not too sure. He was huh. still he was still with us there last year, but I feel you know what? I he probably he moved along. You know what? He probably went to the Padres, too, to join Snell. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, I got this. Uh, uh, I'll keep going. First baseman Colorado. for the uh, American League is Doug. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that is a Polish name. Um, sound it out. Sound it out. Yeah, it, it's Polish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that much like that. Mindkiewicz. M-I-E-N-T-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z. Mindkiewicz? Sure. Mint For the games. record, to uh, to answer the previous question, Derek Rodriguez is now with the Rockies. Oh, nice. so we still have to see him. We still have to see him. <laughs> great. Unfortunately. Wow, I know. look at that flow. Yeah, he's got a great hairdo. Oh, my God. Please search him up immediately so you can talk to your friends about his lettuce. That is <laughs> the so guy good. looks good. Yeah. And he's a pretty fucking solid pitcher. All right. Got a good arm. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> second, base we gold, yeah, about. second base gold glover, uh, Roberto Alomar in Cleveland. Love Roberto That guy Alomar. was great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, third baseman, Eric Chavez down in Oakland. Shortstop, it should come as no surprise. It's Omar Vizquel in Cleveland. Yes. That guy racked up golden gloves. Yeah. Um, in the outfield, Mike Cameron, Torrey Hunter, Ichiro Suzuki. Torrey Hunter, another guy that just racked up gold gloves. Was he in Minnesota at the time? He was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Minnesota was uh, kind of on their way. Um, they would go on to beat the... Uh, Billy Beans, uh, Oakland Athletics, the Moneyball team in the playoffs the, the following year, but I can't. I think it was in the ALDS at the time, because Minnesota would have taken on Anaheim in 2002. And to finish off the awards here, we've got the Silver Sluggers. Uh, love the NL with the pitcher, uh, pitcher designated hitter, of course, in the American League. So for the National League, we got Mike Hampton down in Colorado. Ah, uh, oh, nice uh, hitters field. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the air, the more air. or less. Absolutely. Uh, for a catcher, we got Mike Piazza, of course, in New York. Uh, first base, Todd Helton, uh, one of his four in a row that he got uh, as a silver slugger. Uh, second base, Jeff Kent, and down in San Francisco. You had the scariest hitting outfield of all time. Barry Bonds, Luis Gonzalez, and Sammy Sosa. No thanks. Pretty good. I'll just walk all three and take my chances with whoever's after. <laughs> <laughs> And then looking at the American League, uh, designated hitter Edgar Martinez uh, at catcher Jorge Posada, Jason Giambi from Oakland, uh, Brett Boone at second base in Seattle, uh, Troy Gloss. Troy Gloss, Anaheim. Yeah, Anaheim, third baseman. Uh, no no surprise here. Uh, Alex Rodriguez at shortstop, but in Texas. Yes. Uh, and then the outfield for the AL, uh, Juan Gonzalez, of course, Ichiro Suzuki, and my personal favorite, uh, Boston Red Sox, Manny Ramirez. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So that that's our Silver Sluggers uh, for 2001. Uh, just, I think, before we get out of here, I, what, what, what do you think was uh, the 2001 year or World Series impact on the league, and, and did it have any change going forward? I guess for 2001, it's, it's funny. Um, very rarely do you have a rookie like uh, Ichiro Suzuki. Jumping onto the scene. Let alone two. Pujols got down uh, down ballot MVP votes. I guess, uh, yeah. I guess the moments that stand out are the two rookies that came out of, out of the AL and the NL. Because those are guys that when they first started, they would ha- go on to have uh, Hall of Fame careers. And I'd follow them uh, everywhere I went. So, I mean, probably the rookies for me having such a big impact and putting their teams into the playoffs, I would say probably stands out pretty good. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think I got much more to add to that. I mean, there, there, there was, uh, you know, we talked about some of the impacts just, just in leagues in general going forward. You were talking about the, uh, um, after 2001, the uh, the terrorist attacks in New York, uh, how even in the NFL, for the most part, they're they're playing the Super Bowls in February now. Like, it's kind of some interesting tidbits of uh, that kind of stemmed from all that. The MLB is so steeped in tradition, they did not care. Uh, so when the season started back up the next year, it just started on time. Oh yeah, no, I, I I'm aware of that. They're, yeah. The the, uh, the old man league just uh, yeah. like you said, you know, just stuck in their ways. And yeah, no fun allowed. Yeah. No. No fun league. No. Well, I mean that's the NFL for good reason, but yeah. Let's be realistic. Like the MLB could be so exciting. There's a lot of characters uh, in the league right now um, that if they just weren't spoken so poorly of would be superstars in their own right. You know, uh, it's disappointing to me that bat flipping is not allowed and well not it's the it's, it's the unwritten it's, it's the unwritten rules of baseball, right? Right. You know, and it just kind of bugs me like you're uh you're a sport, you're entertaining. Um you're supposed to be putting bums in seats. Let a guy get excited and yeah. you know, throw a bat Have fun. because he hit a jack in a yeah. huge moment. Yeah, these guys are all professionals. You're not rubbing it in their face. This isn't, you know. He knows what he did. Yeah, this isn't <laughs> high school ball. You know, I, that's what made me happy about it. Oh, yeah. that, that's what made me my favorite what, moment. I would say one of my favorite losing. notes from that section while watching that game was uh, them panning to Rudy Giuliani in the crowd just looking sad and disappointed. <laughs> and uh, Good. You know that lizard man deserves to be sad. Exactly. And that, <laughs> so that's my favorite moment. Moment. Sad Rudy Giuliani. It had nothing to do with sports. <laughs> or uh, or Paul McCartney in uh, I can't remember what game it was. Oh, oh. oh yeah, that New York Oakland one. And, yeah, uh, yeah. He's like they, immediately yeah. after where they pan the camera on him and he's cheering yeah. and the guy hit for the other team hits the home run. It's a dong shot. Oh, God, that's so good. I don't think it was in the World Series, but... No, uh, no, that was definitely against against Oakland. Oakland. That was against Oakland, yeah. Yeah, 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 uh, for sure. But that that was pretty good. Jesse actually put together a nice uh, highlight pack for us. Uh, we'll we'll end up sharing it from the uh, Stories from the Nosebleeds uh, YouTube account here. But you'll get to see all the fun stuff that we watched while we were getting ready for this today. That pretty much wraps us up. Uh, we'll, uh, that's it? You know, that, that's it? That's we're it. done? That's the 2001 World Series, buddy. What more do you want to know? Oh, man. Time just flew. This episode <laughs> just flew by. So uh, on behalf of uh, my uh, two idiot friends here sitting with me, uh, <laughs> Thanks for listening to our very first episode of Stories from the Nosebleeds. Uh, If you'd like to get involved in any way with the program, we'd love to hear some show ideas or any little tidbits of information, maybe some corrections. We'd love to hear that sort of thing. And if you have any suggestions for upcoming episodes, feel free to reach out to us on our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or you can email the show at uh, ideas at storiesfromthenosebleeds.com. Dot com presumably yeah something along those lines might be uh, might be SFNB yeah yeah we're gonna have to work that out it's a pretty long stories from the nosebleed so that's it might a, be it's a long ass domain might name. be might be an SFNB thing <laughs> an abbreviation if you will yeah. but uh, we'll see you next time for some more stories from the nosebleeds bye see you later.